Squares. Beep. Welcome to another episode of Square Waves FM. Today we're on episode number 44, and just one more episode after this before we take a break for uh, the rest of this year. Yay. And we will be and uh, resume our podcasting in 2016. Yay. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about mods and modding. But before we get to, these, to, to today's main topic, why don't we just introduce ourselves for this? Yeah. yeah. Most of you know who we are. Yeah, I'm the real host, Brian. <laughs> real host. And yeah. here's my co-host. Oh, yeah, right. I'm the host and you're the co-host. You got that straight darling. I don't know, darling. What's your name? Bianca. Oh, yeah. My name is Brian. Good to meet you. Nice to meet you. Mm. Beep. Beep. Okay. So, <laughs> modding. But before we get to that, we have our usual uh, pre-show. Yeah, the cavalcade of jaw flapping. <laughs> Uh, so why don't you start us off? Okay, I'll start us off. Uh, why don't I start out actually by just giving a quick shout out to Francisco. Um, well, let's start off with a shout out to Francisco and Jess. They were really good guests last week. I thought it was a very uh, intelligent, intellectual, enjoyable conversation. That's what happens when you don't have chores on the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, today's not one of those days, is it? <laughs> nope. Hi, trolls. We love you. So I just wanted to send a Can shout out to the two of them for being such good guests, but also to Francisco, who I watched on Twitch last night. He was streaming some Assassin's Creed. Which I is, think it was Syndicate, the um, the one set in 1700s America, revolution or just pre-revolution. Oh, sure. oh, it's the one. It's the one where you play the stabby guy who has to clear dots off a map. That's the one he was playing. <laughs> Boy, they're all the same, and I have very little interest in playing one of those games. But it was fun to watch him, and uh, I hope he didn't feel. Uh, uh, pressured by me to do any of his awesome <laughs> voices, but he ended up doing a whole bunch of them. So that always gives me a great big smile. Yeah, and he and he and he still got himself stabbed in the face trying to stab some guy in a carriage. That's that's the game. So uh, I'll put a link to his uh, Twitch account. Mm -hmm. Twitch. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes. Oh, what Francisco twitches now? <laughs> yeah, Francisco twitches now. <laughs> <laughs> That should be the name of his stream, Francisco Twitches. <laughs> um, oh yeah, also shouts to uh, to Trolls and Fred and Gareth, the uh, hosts of the Open Crowdsource podcast, for hosting uh, the wifey over here. I was the last minute. I was I was the last minute addition because I couldn't get the real guest. Yeah, what a shame. Uh, we I was looking forward to seeing Will uh, O'Neill. Will O'Neill on the show last week. He had some kind of. Uh, last minute to do, so uh, he wasn't able to make it. hope he's doing well. Yeah. For those who don't know, Will O'Neill made the actual Sunlight, so mm -hmm. interesting game to play. If you don't want to play it, then just watch uh, one of the uh, Let's Plays of it. That's right. So we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, too, the, the, the episode of uh, Open Crowdsource with Bianca. I was chatting with your dad over breakfast today about uh, that show. Yeah. And uh, he said he watched about half of it and he couldn't stand to watch anymore. <laughs> Why? Did it get too uh, obscene? It was a little blue. <laughs> it was that was a that was a shockingly obscene episode. I mean, that is that is a, a kind of renowned foul mouth show. But my goodness, did you uh, look, you took that bar and you kind of scratched your behind with it? That was awesome. It wasn't really much fault of your own. I mean, through random chance, the the series of topics that you had to turn into a video game on the spot were well, it involved finger banging. A pirate. 
uh, what was it? Jesse from Fink? France, finger banging or yeah, something. finger banging the queen and cheaply. Uh, <laughs> it had to be done cheaply. So, <laughs> if you want to know what happened, watch that episode. I don't think we should repeat it here, just in case there are some under some very sensitive ears. Yeah, I suppose not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that was that was quite something. I, I enjoyed. Uh, I listened to it. Uh, I listened to it sort of as best <laughs> as I could while I was sitting next to you. I kind of had a phone up to my ear, and I think it caused some feedback on the microphone too. So that was a whoopsie. But there was about like a thirty second lag or so between you saying something and then me hearing it on the thing. So I couldn't pay attention too well. But I listened in the car this week, and that was a real good time. Mm-hmm. So you you did a good job of thinking on your feet. Thanks. And I know you're going to be going on that podcast soon enough. So. Well, hopefully you don't get the uh, bluer cards. <laughs> I think that might be all there is. And even if not, that's sort of what you turn it into on that show, isn't it? But it sounds that's like true. I'll be on next uh, uh, next season. Oh, this uh, weekend, I guess um, it'll pro- it will have already taken place by the time I publish the podcast. But they are having Lorelai Shannon, who what, did she, who... what did she design? I think she did Conquests of the Longbow. Lorelai... Shannon. She designed a few games for Sierra. I feel pe- poorly prepared that I don't have a, a list ready here. What did she do? Computer games and game manuals. She designed Pepper's Adventures in Time, King's Quest Seven, Phantasmagoria, Puzzle of Flesh. Interesting. I kind of enjoyed that one. She also did game manuals for three King's Quest games and the original Phantasmagoria. Lorelai Shannon. Awesome. Well, it's great to have a legitimate uh, game designer. Hopefully it will involve FMV since that seems to be her forte. So um, I hope we are around in time to watch uh, tomorrow's show live. It's on, I believe, uh, usually every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. It -hmm. does vary depending on the availability of the guests, but uh, can't recommend it enough. It's a really funny, witty, hilarious show that makes all of its hosts very uncomfortable by being put on the spot to do brilliant things in a very short amount of time. So that's very much well worth watching, I would say. Mm-hmm. So- oh, yeah. Uh, we also want to say uh, shout-outs and thank you to Robert Menez for uh, linking to us a wiki- Wikipedia page on Colossal Cave Adventure, which just mentioned last week. So I'll stick that in the show notes. I took a quick look at it at the beginning of the week, and I don't remember much about it anymore. I don't think it was printed on... Uh, on, uh, what do you call those damn cards? I don't think it was printed on punch cards, as I had suspected, but it is like an old mainframe game. I think it was from old PDP mainframes or something, the really humongous, like, room-sized mainframes, and it's been adapted a few times and improved based on the engines that it's been ported to, so chances are the version she was playing was something a little more accessible than those ancient ones. But uh, even so, it's basically the progenitor of the adventure gaming uh, genre, so I'm sure that's well worth a look. What do we got here? Yeah. I listened to an interesting podcast this week, as I always uh, like to prop the good podcasts that I listen to. So once again, I listened to Lost Treasures of Gaming, and uh, they spoke this week with American McGee, who made um, Alice and Scrapland, and uh, did he do Grimm? And he did a bunch of games. He has a company in Shanghai now called Spicy Horse. So they uh, were originally going to... delicious. Does it come in stir-fry? Probably, being, <laughs> being from Shanghai. So I was kind of hoping you would speak a little bit more about uh, his game, Alice, but it was mostly an interview about him. And he's a pretty interesting guy. 
with uh, kind of like a tumultuous uh, developer's history, he was introduced to the gaming world uh, by id Software. He was a level designer for id for many years before getting fired. And then he worked for EA, and things went pretty sour with EA, and he never appreciated having his name on uh, the title of the box, on the front of the box, and uh, neither did his teams, so that caused all kinds of friction. So I, won't, I don't want to give away the whole podcast, but it's a really interesting story, and he's very uh, straightforward and owns up to the good and to the bad. So I uh, will gladly put a link to that in the show notes. That was quite an interesting show. I'm sure it's a name that you guys recognize. And uh, we, uh, Bianca and I, really love uh, really love the soundtrack to that yes, game. Yes, that is one of the best game soundtracks I've heard. It's really nice. It's one my, of my favorites. I love that one. I, n- I never actually got to comment on soundtracks because that was an earlier one of your episodes before I was a host, and I never really spoke about it. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll have to revisit that. I don't think I said half as much as I wanted to anyway. Mm-hmm. That was, that was a soundtrack by Chris Vrenna, who used to be, be in Nine Inch Nails. That's correct. So that's a really interesting, creepy soundtrack. I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned that one, as a matter of fact, as one of my favorites. It's like very, mm-hmm. it's not very percussive, but it's like very rhythmic and it's based a lot on kind of loops of fours, uh, like uh, repeated bars and repeated melodies. And it's kind of, uh, it kind of is uh, defined by its repetition and small iterations. So uh, it uh, kind of builds this brooding mood over time. Very, very nice soundtrack. We listen to it together all the time. <laughs> I'm just chuckling at my show notes here. All right, why don't I get these two... I'm going to get these two Google-related uh, topics out of the way, and then I'm going to let you do your rant about uh, Windows 10 and fixing your dad's computer. That Again. Was, that was an interesting <laughs> one. <laughs> so I've... Um, in the latest version of Android OS, Marshmallow 6.0, Google added a feature which sounded absolutely fascinating on paper, but has turned out for me to be really irritating. They call it Google Now on Tap. So Google Now is probably... What, you uh, pull it and you get a draft of Google? <laughs> you wanna, I'll give you something to pull if you want a draft of Google. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Um, Google Now is probably one of the best, if not the best differentiator, the best feature of Android phones. Google Now is essentially like the the state the, the mission statement of Google is to organize and make useful the world's information. That's essentially their mission statement, almost word for word. And Google Now does that in an amazingly interesting way because traditionally Google has been all about a user inputting a search and then Google returning something relevant. Uh, based on what you've typed and what the context is, like who you are and what you've looked at. Google Now, conversely, is all about delivering information to you before you have to search for anything. So on your Android phone, you switch to your Google Now page, and it will show you um, information about your location and your routine and about what's available around you. So, for example, um, by default, each morning, it will show me the weather in uh, the location that I live. It'll show me the weather for uh, the uh, township um, where I work, which is only like half an hour away, but sometimes it's raining in one place and not in the other. Sometimes there's a difference of one centi- uh, one degree centigrade or something between the two, which is sort of interesting. Um, cool. It will uh, show me, based on the route that I usually drive to work, how long it will take me to get to work, and if there's any accidents or exceptions, which will decrease or increase the amount of time it takes, and if so, it recommends that I take a different route to work on the road. 
or it can show you uh, schedules for buses and stuff if that's how you commute, or even walking times. It uh, One cool thing it does is if you're going somewhere you've never been before, you drive for a while, and then you're stopped, and then your phone detects that you're moving slowly, it assumes that where you stopped is where you parked your car. And so it keeps a reminder of where it thinks that you parked your car, which is awesome if you parked on a side street or somewhere or something like that. And you go for a walk, you just look at your phone and it gives you a reminder and tells you how long it will take to go back to your parked car and where it is and even street by street, turn by turn directions, how to get to your parked car. So anyway, Google Now is great and I rely on it all the time because it does such a great job of delivering pertinent information to me before I even know what I'm asking for. Very impressive. Um, Google Now on tap, uh, conversely, is it's a feature that was kind of designed to add Google services, intuitive Google services to apps or websites that may not be integrated with Google. So what Google Now on tap does is you hold down the home button on your phone and it draws this border around your screen and it looks at all the text on your screen and then it kind of shows you searches that are related to the content that's on the screen. So it will look at a logo, for example, if you're looking at the restaurant website, it'll look at the logo and it'll show you directions to the restaurant and it will show you reviews and stuff like that. Or so it goes in theory because not once have I found it to be useful. Never. And that's a real shame because it's something that has a lot of potential, but it's it's annoying me. And the reason it annoys me is it used to be that on my Nexus phone, I would swipe up from the bottom of my screen and that was the uh, shortcut to show Google Now. Now they changed the shortcut from a swipe up to instead holding your, your finger down on the button, but whatever, that's fine. It was just a quick thing to learn and I don't get it wrong anymore. But now before you get to Google Now, it first attempts to do a Google Now on tap search of the screen, which is super annoying because that takes a good three or four or five seconds and then I have to press another button to go to Google Now. So it's extra taps and extra waiting that get in the way of me getting to the information that I've been accustomed to rely on. So I don't really appreciate that. So what I did instead was I have uh, an Android launcher called Apex Launcher. A launcher is like a home screen, uh, a home screen replacement, or it's like a, a shell, like an X Windows shell in Linux, you might say. It's just it makes your your or desktop look different. Relevant to today's topic, a mod. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, it is a mod, isn't it? That's yes, a good way to put it. It's like an alternative user interface, mm -hmm. visually and with your interactions. So I just added a shortcut, a finger gesture, to show me Google Now instead, so I can bypass Google Now on tap. That's good. That sounds, that sounds smart. It's good. I can only do that from the home screen, though. I can't do that from any app like I could before. Mm, that's unfortunate. Too bad they don't allow you to... They have settings to allow you to bypass that if you were if you preferred it. Yeah, it is too bad. When I used to mess around with the Cyanogen uh, operating system, which is a forked version of the Google Android operating system, and it's still available, um, I just haven't put it on this phone. I put it on my last phone uh, just to give it a try, and it was very good. But it's uh, a little. It takes them a while to update it after Google uh, releases a new version. It takes a while for Cyanogen to make an updated version of their operating system specific for your handset. So um, Cyanogen, back when you used to swipe up from the bottom, um, it would show like a Google logo. And in Cyanogen, you could swipe up from the bottom and not let go of your thumb. And you could put as many as three, I think, different shortcuts. So you could swipe straight up to go to Google Now, and you could swipe uh, from the bottom up to the left to get to your camera and swipe up and to the right to get to your email or something like that. You could customize those swipe up gestures. I don't know if there's a way to do that uh, without installing the custom OS, but I'm happy enough with uh, the Android stock OS right now. 
maybe I'll try Cyanogen as I did with my last phone when my phone is no longer being supported by Google and they're no longer install or uh, releasing OS updates because that was a nice benefit of Cyanogen. They, I think it was version 5, uh, Lollipop, that did not come out for my old Samsung Galaxy Nexus, but Cyanogen adapted it so that it would be supported, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm, that is nice. It's nice. So it's I'd rather have the stock OS, but it's it's better than nothing, and in some ways it's even better than Android OS. But Android themselves, uh, Google themselves, did a really good job of finding some of those unique um, uh, the, some of those unique benefits that used to just be in Cyanogen, and they've added them to the OS itself. Like uh, when you pull down the notifications uh, shade, there are all these toggles, including a flashlight and stuff like that. Those used to just be on Cyanogen, but now they're on the proper Google. So I don't know if that's just Google. Well, I'm pretty sure that's just Google seeing good ideas from third-party modders. You could call them third-party, uh, the people who fork the OS, and incorporating those into the base OS. So that's good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other Google news that I'll share quickly is that um, Google Play Music, um, they just they recently in the U.S. and now very recently, just this week in Canada, added um, ad-supported music streaming, similar to Spotify and Pandora and other services like that. It used to be that you had to just uh, subscribe for $10 a month, but now there's a free ad-supported one, which I think lets you listen to a genre of music, but not to specific albums or songs. And every now and then it'll play an ad. So that's cool, I guess. Uh, I, I happily subscribe and pay for it. And I'm looking forward to them adding a family plan for $15 a month. Apple, uh, kudos to Apple for uh, being the first ones to implement that plan. They're forcing all the competitors to follow in suit. So as soon as Google does that, then uh, Bianca, you'll get your uh, streaming music account again. You tried it before and you didn't yes. really care to continue it. I didn't care to continue, but if we have a family account, I think I would definitely make use of it. Just as a personal account, I didn't feel I would have much use out of it, but with a family account, I believe that it would be a good benefit to us. Yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. And I hope we can share those accounts with our extended family. You get up to six users as a family. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping I can share those at least with uh, your dad and my parents and maybe, I don't know, if, uh, my brother-in-law or my sister. No, they're, they're Apple people. They are Let Apple them post well, they, iTunes. <laughs> I think you can get Google Play Music on Apple. I'm not sure. You can get Apple Music on Android anyway. Mm-hmm. And you can get them both. Or I don't know about Apple Music. You can get Google Play Music on a web browser. Mm-hmm. There's no um, application to install, but I listen to it on my web browser at work every day. Oh, well. Um, what uh, Google is also adding to Google Play Music is support for podcasts. And uh, it dawned on me, oh, yeah, I have a podcast. So I looked into it, and... I do want this podcast to be available in the most convenient places. And I mean, listeners, if you're clamoring for this, then by all means, I'll add it on there. But what stopped me short was um, right when I was about to upload it, it said, do you certify that all of the content in your podcast is owned by you or that you have permission to include it? And we like to add a song at the end of every episode. And once or twice, it's been like a big commercial song. And I guess I'd rather just have the freedom to publish whatever I want instead of having to curb our content mm-hmm. for the benefit of having it on a service that I don't even know if anyone would really use it. Yep. Makes sense to yeah. us. Although for all I know, I might've already agreed to something like that. Our podcast is on iTunes. I assume it is. I haven't checked it for half a year, <laughs> but uh, well, people are still sending us in letters and uh, talking to us. Obviously they've been able to get it. Yeah. They're finding us somehow. 
Yep. But uh, yeah, folks, if there's some way that that you'd rather be listening to the podcast, if there's a service that you enjoy or a platform that we're not supporting, uh, let us know. SquareFM at demodulated.com. We'll be happy to oblige you. We want this to be as easy for you as possible. Yep. All right. I'm going to rest my lips now. Why don't you go ahead, Bianca, and talk about your tribulations with your dad with Windows 10? Because this is a great story if you're a techie. Yeah. So for those of you who remember, I previously ranted. <laughs> and that's a You previously ranted? I don't remember this. <laughs> and that's putting it lightly. <laughs> about my issues with trying to fix my dad's machine. And honestly, most I wouldn't say most of it's his fault because he just has bad luck. Do you want to give a summary of, of uh, what the, the symptoms were? Yeah. So pre prior to this, he was um, having issues with a computer that didn't seem to – that was slow to start up when he rebooted. The start menu was either unresponsive or was extremely slow to respond – he, he couldn't torrent anything, although I suspect that he may have, uh, uh, though we suspect that um, he may have inadvertently downloaded something malicious through that. Possible. Yeah, because when he tried to torrent recently before I fixed him up, he got an error with the um, torrenter, and I tried different torrents and tried different trackers, nothing seemed to work. And I also, and when trying to fix his uh, Windows installation before finally coming before this re recent attempt, I had done uh, some stuff to at the uh, at the base OS level, just some commands to refresh it. I had also done a, a uh, reset on the uh, OS itself, just to roll back to a previous install without having to, without worrying about losing you losing any user files that exist on the C drive. So his docu so the documents folder and all those folders would be left alone. Unfortunately, it wound up that none of it worked, and we wound up back at square one. And in fact, the computer even took a further step back and blue screen, resulting in it being completely unbootable. So he took it to, uh, so because this was uh, an issue that had been ongoing, he took it in to get the hardware looked at. Yeah, we usually do our own troubleshooting for stuff like that. But if it's, well, what it, we suspected a few things, right? Yeah. Most of which were hardware related. Yeah, and we I don't have a test bench to yeah, test that stuff. Well. I, had I had long suspected a power supply issue because there were a number of issues that didn't seem to be resolvable, but it, independently they could have been fixed. Which is, and um, I recognized it from my own prior experience with two faulty power supplies giving out on me. The, the primary s symptom of a bad power supply being the random shutdowns and freezes. It's a hard one to troubleshoot because sometimes a faulty power supply will invoke, uh, or yeah, it will invoke, evoke, invoke yeah. um, other failures and other bits of hardware. So it's it's sometimes give you like a red herring about exactly what it is that's wrong. Yeah, but the, the, but if you consist, but I found that one thing that was yeah because for me one of those red herrings was an overheating uh, CPU. Oh, was it? Yeah, and I did have to because I did eventually have to get my uh, water cooler. But yeah, a red herring is the uh, is the temp is the temperature of your uh, hardware gets affected because the uh, power supply is working extra hard to pump in all this extra power, and because it doesn't regulate itself very well because it's in the process of failing, it often gives more uh, electricity than needed and it causes your parts to overheat. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes if you're 
power supply is failing, it can have like attenuation of, of power through its cables, which kind of bleeds out into your system and uh, makes it act erratically or increases the heat or or causes connections where they sh there shouldn't be connections mm -hmm. electrically. Yeah. So, long story short, he brought his computer into one of our favorite stores nearby. Canada Computers, good people. Mm -hmm. we, bought ours, we bought our supplies there to build our most recent uh, babies. Mm -hmm. They uh, got them fixed up nicely. It was indeed power supply. They replaced it. And it didn't. It wound up not costing him too much, which is nice. He mon he mainly he only really paid for parts and labor. Do you remember what it cost? Yes, one hundred fourteen Canadian, including installation. Yes. Oh, that's great. I think our power supplies were about a hundred bucks. Yeah, staff. I think he might have just gotten the most basic. I think they might have just given the most basic power supply. I don't even know if they got if they got the uh, the gold ones that we use. Oh right. Mm -hmm. So he brought it home. And even after they put the power supply in, he was still getting this blue screen that said that there was a problem with the MBR, his master boot record. Mm -hmm. So I got Brian to uh, form, format me a USB that I could boot off of and install Windows 10. And so I go over with my little USB key all happy because I'm going, yay, I get to install Windows and I don't have to do anything to my operating system. I get to do it to somebody else's. So I go over, everything's plugged in, I put the uh, USB in the front, I boot up, and it doesn't, and it doesn't, and it doesn't boot, in, and it doesn't boot right away into my USB, so I'm going, okay, that's fine, go into the BIOS, configure it so that, um, it, uh, so the boot order prioritizes my USB. I go, I'm like, okay, good, I exit, I go, I reboot, I'm like, oh, look at this, it went into uh, the Windows, uh, Installation. Okay, good. Let's proceed. I go through most of the motions. I get to the screen where you can choose your partitions, where you can choose to either partition your disk, format, delete, etc. And so I see the uh, previously formatted C disk. I'm like, okay, good. We're not going to touch the first little system partition. We're going to leave that. I'll touch the actual one, the one that Windows was on. Let's just format it since. You know, it's a good idea. This other this drive's been in use for a while. It probably has a ton of garbage on there, and he already knows that I'm going to be killing this anyways. I ha and yet and I had my dad back up all of his uh, existing data on a secondary partition. So I'm like, we're not losing anything other than a bunch of applications, programs, and the OS. So I uh, go to I go to format. I get an error saying that. I can't do this because the master boot records on this drive. I thought that's a strange error. I've been able to format this hard, this hard, this type of hard drive before with a master boot record on it. And the other instruction he gave me was to take out the drive, reboot, and put the drive back in. So, unplug the USB, plug it back in, attempt to repeat the uh, same thing. I go in, I look. I'm like I click I'm like, I click my drive once I'm back I've gone through most of the uh, window initial window setups I click format it doesn't like it so I tried instead of just taking it out and rebooting to delete the partition thinking you know what if the master boot records messed up let's just delete the partition we're not losing anything since at this point it's a, you can't you can't even boot into it I uh, tried to delete the partition and I got a rather interesting error saying that because this was a master boot record set partition and it had and it was also a um, UEFI partition 
I'd never seen this era before, so I called Brian since I didn't, and I called Brian just to get me, just to have him look up something for me, since it's faster to look up on your computer than on your phone sometimes, when you have to look up uh, a bunch of, uh, when you have to look up for an error in Windows, it's, I find it's much more efficient to use a desktop or laptop than, than a cell phone. Mm-hmm. So he looks it up for me, and as we're going through, we discover that there is this, that there's this EUFI standard now that's somehow preventing me from going ahead with this installation. But luckily enough for us, there was an option in the BIOS that I could turn this off. So I uh, leave the, the key in. Oh yeah, this is the this is the advice that we uh, found uh, from Microsoft about how to resolve this issue. Yes, I. I uh, restart, go into the BIOS, go deep into uh, the advanced options, and uh, turn the end uh, under the and, and turn off the uh, EUFI option and make it and the and choose the option as other OS, making a note to change it back once I've uh, made the installation. I uh, as I come out of this option, I notice that I have the choice. To either just do a, a straight reboot, or I, or I can even boot straight, or instead of just coming, instead of saving from, from the BIOS, I can choose to boot right out of the BIOS into the drive of choice. Mm-hmm. In my list, I noticed a UEFI USB and just the USB itself. Mm-hmm. Curious, I decided to choose the USB option. They they both had this. Yes, the only thing that was different was just this four-letter acronym. I choose the uh, option without the four-letter acronym. Oh, and by the way, UEFI is Unified Extensible Firmware Interface. It's uh, I had to look this up. It's an interface between the operating system and the BIOS. It's like a software interface. So it's something about uh, it's it's like a I don't know if it's like a hardware abstraction layer or something like that. I have to look it up to get more information about. It. I'll put it. I'll put the link in the in the show notes to the Wikipedia page. Sorry to interrupt yeah, you. That's fine. So I'd only done part of the instructions Brian found when I noticed this uh, the uh, boot options right on my screen. So I went into the option that didn't list this that didn't have the acronym in front of the name of the uh, USB key I had plugged into the computer. I took the second one. It booted me into the same disk. I got to. I went through the uh, setup. I get to the uh, screen that I had been stuck at before and choose to. Uh, I I went okay. Delete. I chose to delete the C, the C drive to make sure that it was clear. I didn't get an error. I then choose the unallocated partition, and I say install. Lo and behold, it installed. And my problems ended right there. It was beautiful. I was not expecting it to be... I was not expecting my problems to end so soon. Usually when I get un- unfamiliar errors, there's a bunch. There's a lot of steps involved in fixing and getting out of it. But this one, it seemed that I got an unrecognizable error. I got to an obstacle, but overcame it much more quickly than I was anticipating. Mm-hmm. So, well, what I read about this uh, troubleshooting was um, if you run into this error, which is not common, but not uncommon, if that makes sense. It doesn't, I know. Um, It's easier to resolve if you don't have any individual logical partitions than two gigabytes. If you have partitions that are bigger than two gigabytes, or maybe it's like your C drive, if that's one you're fixing, if your C drive 
logical partition is bigger than two gigabytes, then there are extra steps. Mm -hmm. But if there aren't, then all you do is go to your BIOS to disable EFI or UEFI. Then you do your disk partitioning uh, steps and you install your operating system. And once your operating system is successfully installed, go back to your BIOS and re-enable UEFI. Mm -hmm. And that's it, which is great. It was like 20 steps or something if you had a partition bigger than two gigabytes. Yeah, but it turns out I wound up skipping all these steps without even meaning to. <laughs> but I did re-enable the UEFI in the process after I was when I was coming back in again. Yeah, well, your partition wasn't. Or did I say gigabytes? I, I think I meant something else. Yeah, I think you meant terabytes. Because, I think I meant terabytes. Sorry. Yeah, because it was one and a half because the, the drive I was dealing with was five hundred meg. It was five hundred gigs. Sorry, I'm sure I meant terabytes. Yeah, you meant terabytes because I, I remember this part of the conversation. We established that I had one partition that was 1.5 terabytes mm. and then uh, two partitions that were about 500 gigs each. Yeah, sorry. Uh, confusing gigabytes and terabytes is something that old people do. And you are old, darling. Exactly. <laughs> so I was surprised. I didn't have – because it was fortunately small enough, I didn't have to do all these extra steps. Right. So I got it installed, and the good news is he, his computer has been up and running for a few days now, and he's happy. The only thing now is he ran out of bandwidth. <laughs> yeah, that's right, his ISP monthly bandwidth cap. So he has to wait two days for that to reset, poor guy. Yeah, yeah he wouldn't have this problem if he listened to us more often, but... Yeah, you know, he has his reasons, which are legitimate for his use case. We won't mm -hmm. go into that. Yeah. But got that resolved, so I'm happy. And I think it means I won't have to be seeing that computer for a long time. <laughs> oh, and let me ask you, by the way, in line with my own experience with reinstalling Windows 10 after I was replacing an existing installation of Windows 10, yeah. did it ask you for a product key? It did, but I had the option to skip it. Oh, and then you logged in with his Microsoft account? Yes, and now that just has to be verified, and I'll have him uh, do that at a later mm. date if it starts bugging him. But okay, I think it actually – okay. Yeah, let's follow up on that then. Because in my experience, what I read was that after between like two and seven days, that's when it will verify online to see whether you have a product key associated with your Windows account. And if you do, then that's the end of it. It just activates your your OS. You don't have to type in your product key like you ordinarily would with Windows 8 or older. Yeah, so at least you can get the installation done without that. That's right. But you can force it. If you go, you click, you go to your start button and you type... Activate. Activate. And there's an option to either change your Windows product key or to see if Windows is activated. So I think it's see if Windows is activated. and that, Or there might actually be another option that says activate Windows. Mm -hmm. So you go to that and then you can say activate now and it will check it against your, uh, your uh, Microsoft account. And as long as you have a compatible uh, product key, mm -hmm. then uh, you're good to go. As far as I know, if you have an OEM license of Windows 10, meaning original equipment manufacturer, if your copy of Windows 7 or 10 or whatever came with your computer, then it will probably only work on that computer. And if you upgrade your computer too many times, like I think or just your motherboard, or if you get a new computer, then that version of Windows will no longer work. But if you have a retail version of Windows 10, which was either upgraded from a retail version of Windows 7 or 8, or if you bought a retail version of Windows 10 on a disk, then, as far as I know, you can install that on as many computers as you want, as long as it's just one computer at a time. Mm -hmm. so, so that's handy. Yes, it is. We got that taken care of. Good. And because of this, in addition to this, we decided after uh, seeing this uh, EFI or UEFI uh, information that we decided to see what our own BIOSes had to say about this. Yeah. And so we both we we discovered that at the BIOS screen, 
we had the love the option to go either into our BIOS or the uh, or the UEFI BIOS, mm -hmm. which I didn't realize. It's when we press F two instead of delete, mm -hmm. it went to something called the UEFI BIOS. Yeah, went in and used it as an opportunity to overclock our CPUs. Yeah, that's right. I've, that's something I've resisted doing for as long as I've been a computer builder, which is at least a decade, probably more. Mm -hmm. um, our current motherboards, they're both made by Asus, I think. Yes. They have something called the AI, the over, the AI overclocking tweaker or something like that. Yeah. So I've tried it a couple of times just to see what sort of gains it would give me, but I kind of stopped short of actually doing it. But this time I figured, okay, what the hell? It's been too long since I've got to monkey around with my computer, so I tried it first. So I ran the AI tweaker, and it said it was pretty neat actually. It said first. Um, what sort of a CPU cooler do you have? And it said there's like a flat CPU cooler or a box cooler, which is like the really tall kind where you can clip fans to the side, which is what I have. Or do you have a water cooler or no cooler? So that was interesting that it asked me those things. I guess those go into the calculations of how far you can safely overclock it. So for me, I used to have a water cooler. It was too loud, so I ripped it out and threw it in the garbage. <laughs> what a waste of money that was. Ripped out sounds like you're pulling teeth. I was pulling. It was pulling teeth putting it in. It was easy to take out. So I uh, picked, the box, picked the box cooler, and then it asked me, do I use my computer for regular day-to-day -day computing tasks or for gaming and multimedia? So I chose gaming and multimedia. I guess that means it's a little less conservative with the uh, noise profile, probably. And then it said, okay, it's doing some calculations. It worked for about 30 seconds. I think I heard the fan. I did hear the fan speed up, so I guess it was doing a temperature versus clock speed test. And in the end, it said it could speed up my CPU by about 17% and my memory by about 40-something percent, which is crazy. So I said, okay, what the hell? Go for it. And it said, okay, are you sure you want to do this? If it's unstable, it will automatically restore to the previous settings. And if you're unhappy with the settings, you can press this button when you come back to the BIOS to restore it to the previous settings. So, okay, I figured, what the hell? I'll give it a try. So I clicked a button, and that was the end of it. And then I ran some stability tests and some hardware stress tests. And indeed, my CPU, which was 4 gigahertz, is now running at like 4459 megahertz or something like that. So 4.5 gigahertz. So that's kind of cool. And my memory, I forget what the speed was. I think it was at... Oh, that's, that's lame that I can't tell you what the clock speed of my RAM. What a shame. What a shame. Where's my RAM speed? This is pissing me off. I don't know what my RAM speed is. It's faster now anyway. And how about you, dear? Do you remember what your uh, you have water cooling, so you have even more overhead for oh yeah overclocking. Do you remember what your your gains were? It won't tell you on here about the CPU speed. This just tells you what your yeah. manufacturer speed is, not what you've included it to. Mine was I didn't get the same pop up screen you did because I have AMD, you have Intel. Mm. So and I just did an autom I did the automatic and. So my gains were all done automatically with no uh, output given. Oh, it didn't tell you what percentage it would improve it by? No. Oh, okay. Well, we can run a test on yours afterwards. But you have a 4 gigahertz 8-core CPU. Yep. And I have a 4 gigahertz 4-core, even though mine's faster. we got to get you Intel next time. You love your AMD, but, don't, but you want, uh, don't you want a faster computer? Yeah, but... This is just a lot cheaper. Yours is like 250 bucks cheaper or something between the mm -hmm. CPU and the motherboard. Yeah, but my computer is still good speed. I got the... Uh, Very good. Mm -hmm. I haven't been disappointed with uh, this, and I always have a cooler temperature, which is good for me. Yeah, that's right. Oh, let me run my temperature monitor right now. Yeah. Your temperature is 24 Celsius right now. Mine at idle. Mine is usually about 40 at idle. And this is after I uh, 
Yeah, 24 after I messed around with my uh, bias. So when I idle, I dipped as low. And, and this was a couple of months ago when it was still quite warm out. I dipped to 14 and 13. Yours went down to 12 degrees. and 11. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's because of the overclocking that it's a little hotter now, but those are like super tiny uh, temperatures. Mine will take a minute to spin up, but mine, I'm sure mine is around 40 degrees or 45 degrees at idle. But apparently my uh, i7-4790K, uh, the, the, I, the i7-4790s are supposed to be particularly hot CPUs. Oh, I'm only at 31 Celsius because it's a cooler time of year, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the K at the end of mine means that it's it has the unclocked, uh, sorry, the unlocked multiplier so that I can overclock it freely by fiddling with the voltage and the multiplier. So it was really cool that our BIOSes did the the adjustments for us. Usually what you do is you increase your voltage a little bit, you increase your clock rate multiplier a little bit, then you test it and you do stress tests. And if it's stable, then you go back and do it again and increase it a little bit. And maybe you don't need to increase the voltage and maybe you do. If it's unstable, you increase it a little bit. And if it's too unstable, then you decrease it a little bit and it's a whole science behind it. So it was amazing that our BIOS is friggin' did this with like three keystrokes. Very, very impressive. What an age we live in. Yep, and it's just so nice that uh, we have mouse capability. In our BIOSes? Yeah, yeah, that is nice. And excellent key time and keyboard responses. Yeah, our BIOSes are really pretty. It gives you not only the temperature of your current CPU, but it has this like histogram line graph that shows you like over the last 30 seconds what the temperatures have been. Uh, yours does. Mine, do mine does something different. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because we have different... Uh, your, remember, your Intel and I have AMD, so we do have a bit of differences in, in our BIOSes. Yeah, that's right. My chipset is the Intel Z97 chipset, which is their second newest chipset. They have a newer one now. So mine has all kinds of fancy features. When I was buying my new CPU, they recommended that I get one with the Z97 uh, chipset because it had better features that support my CPU. Yeah, and I think I got Z97A or something for AMD. No, Z97 is something by Intel. I don't remember what your chipset is called. Oh, yours is AM3 Plus or something, isn't it? Yeah, mine's AM3 Plus. Nice socket. But I know that my chipset had a similar name to yours. You know, just to uh, make sure that all the, the I guess. that the uh, when you're buying they sound the same. <laughs> yeah, well, the nice thing about AMD is that they change their chipsets a lot less frequently than Intel does. If you're buying a new CPL, uh, sorry, if you're buying a new CPU from Intel, you almost certainly have to buy a new motherboard too. Whereas you bought a few CPUs and you didn't have to change your motherboard because it still used the AM2 or AM3 socket. Yep. So this is the AM3 plus, I think, socket that yours has. And I'm yeah, sure that I had an AM3 before, so I had to upgrade when I bought this one. That's I, right. I got went to AM3 Plus. So you can probably buy another CPU and plug it into your current mainboard. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. I get to uh, pull my uh, liquid cooler off if I do that. Oh, that's right. Although the hard part of, you know, that sucks. At least the hard part of the liquid cooler was fastening it to the back of the motherboard and to the side of the case. Mm -hmm. And if you buy a new CPU, you don't have to do that. You just have to squish that cooling block on top of the CPU, which was not easy either. Mm -hmm. Fuck, I hate installing liquid coolers. That was so hard. It was hard, but my, my liquid cooler... Your results are ridiculously good. Look at my temperature. I'm down to 30 Celsius. It really depends on the time of year, I guess. True. Plus, I dusted it free, uh, recently. Oh, look at that. This tool is telling me right now, my CPU is at 4488 megahertz. Do you have that? You do have that installed. Let's see how fast yours is. Yours should have been at about 4,000. Now you're at 42.14 seems to be the top of it. So you overclocked yours by about 5%. Yeah. And I overclocked mine by a little more than 10%. 
Yeah, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's view RAM. Oh, I don't want. Where is it? Options. Oh, does this tell us our RAM frequency? It should. Let's see. I don't know if it does. This is a. RAM. RAM? RAM. Are you sure? Uh, now I want to see this. Damn, that's cool. Where's RAM? 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 Where'd you find that? Oh, generic RAM. Here we go. Memory. It tells you memory load, but it doesn't tell you the speed. I think it's hard-coded in the BIOS. I don't think it's something that you monitor in real time, the RAM speed. Whereas your CPU has dynamic speeds. It uh, automatically underclocks your CPU when it's not too busy so that you don't use as much electricity and you can keep your temperatures down. Mm -hmm. Boy, I love talking nerdy shit. Yeah. You're a cool wife, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So is that our is that our nerd stories? Yep, I think that's our nerd stories for today, although you got some stuff about NVIDIA and Steam that you might want to talk about. Okay, I'll do I'll do this real quick. Uh I'll talk I'll do the Steam one first. Uh Steam pissed me off. So Steam has this fantastic, generous return policy now. Steam just had their Steam sale. I bought some games and I didn't like some of them, so I returned them. And in one of my returns, I got it in included in my receipt, it said uh, something like, we've noticed that you've done a lot of returns. Remember that returns are a privilege and not to be abused or something like that. That pissed me off big time. Oh, it pissed me off too, and I'm not even the one receiving it. I know. Well, the idea is Steam, I, I've read their, uh, I'll, I'll find this and put it in the show notes, but Steam has their return policy. Uh, they have a, a return policy. Steam return, return policy. It sounds, it sounds, on paper, it sounds very generous. And, it, well, uh, and in practice it is too. They just had this very stupidly worded kind of warning, which apparently is triggered if you do a certain number of returns in a certain amount of time, like within a window. So that really pissed me off. So I emailed Steam support saying, I've successfully returned a bunch of games, but I just got this message. Can you please tell me whether I am in good standing so that I can continue to return games that don't work or that I don't like? Because that's supposed to be what their policy is for. For any reason at all, if you don't want a game anymore within two weeks or within two hours playtime. It's basically whichever comes first. Yeah, you can return it without any hassle. So it pissed me off to get this message because, like, if had I crossed some unspoken boundary, I read their policy and I was definitely not abusing it. There are even some games that I played that I only like so-so, but they were t less than two hours long and I finished them and I wasn't about to return that because I thought that would be, uh, I thought that would be wrong. So yeah. I emailed their support. And I know that there's actually been indie, some indie developers and some people who have, have uh, voiced concerns about that because it's you played the game, you got some enjoyment out of it, but it wasn't. Too, but it, that was less than two hours long. Should you have? Should you still be able to return it? Well, to be fair, I mean, even the games that I've returned because I didn't like them, I still got some enjoyment out of those. But if I finish a game, that means I got all the enjoyment I would ever get out of that, no matter what. So then I don't feel like it's ethically correct to ask for a refund at that point. Of course not. I made my choice. If I choose to finish a game, then I've made my choice that the product is mine. In my opinion, according to Steam policy, it sounds like you can still return that, but they want to watch out for abuse so that we don't put we don't discourage people from making short games because I love short games. So anyway, um, I emailed Steam support with the lowest of expectations because the <laughs> last support ticket I gave to Steam took three and a half weeks for them to get back to me at all. And when they answered, it was something stupid that had nothing to do with my issue that I had already Generic answer is generic. It was a generic answer asking me to do something that I already said that I had done in my first email. So the email I sent to them said that I had no trouble returning my games, but I got this 
message, can you please tell me that I'm in good standing with your policy? So they replied in two days to their merit, and they said, uh, what game are you having trouble returning? So that pissed me off, too, because I told them I had no trouble returning anything. I just was asking about the policy. Yeah, it seems so, like it might have just been an automatic uh, thing that scanned for keywords. It sure seemed like it. So that pissed me off, too. So I, I just gave them a snarky reply, which I almost never do. But because I'd have such a history of shitty responses from Steam, I was fed up. So I, I sent them the reply, me. please read my please read my email before responding. Send. <laughs> so that wasn't very constructive, but it made me feel like a big man. So I got a reply another day or two later, and they said, oh, we did read your email. Please tell us which, which uh, product you're having trouble returning. So... They didn't read it again. They just gave me a smart-ass answer. So I told them I've never had any trouble return getting a re refund on a game. And in fact, I've never had trouble getting a refund on a game even before their refund policy was was stated. Uh, there were some games that uh, said on the Steam store, for example, um, if you have these minimum requirements, then the game will work for you. And I had those minimum requirements, and it didn't work. So they, they gave me a refund, no problem. I've had good service from them in that respect. So long story short... I'm not in their bad standing at all. It's an automated message that goes out if you do a bunch of returns within a small amount of time. But I think that's a real customer service error on their side. Mm -hmm. It discourages me from using the policy that they bragged about so much. So I think that's really stupid. I think, if anything, they could they could still send it out, but they could word it much differently, saying, uh, reminding you that, uh, you know, that there are, they make it more of a reminder rather than a warning in tone. I guess so. Yeah, it's a, it's a poorly worded thing. You're absolutely right. If they said it more softly or didn't raise my suspicions, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have thought twice about yeah, it. Yeah, they could have made. In addition to this, they could make it so they could make it softly worded and append it to all returns. That way, it sounds like it's not. Well, I understand the need for them to do something different because then it's more likely to catch your eye. Good but point. I see what you mean. Mm -hmm. So, go ahead. Yeah. So basically, saying we've noticed you've done a number of returns. Please remember that we have that every game has. To Reviews and it's in, in it's in your best interest to check reviews before buying game as well and to check system requirements. Mm -hmm. You know, just make it a reminder so people don't feel. Oh, so yeah, well, that's right. That reminds me. One thing that really pissed me off in their automated letter to me in that return receipts was they said we recommend you look at user reviews to see whether you like a game before buying it. Like fuck you, <laughs> seriously, fuck you. I, I'm sorry if I uh, don't enjoy what the mainstream enjoys. Maybe I bought it uh, critically. Maybe I bought a game that I know is good, but it's a game that's just not for me. At least I tried it. Don't discourage me from making impulse purchases, basically. Yeah, if I want to spend 73 cents on some piece of shit, damn it, let me spend my 73 cents. That's right. Oh, and of course I rubbed it in their face. I have fucking 647 games on my Steam library. You, like don't don't treat me like I'm a scammer. You've gotten like thousands of dollars from me over the course of a decade. <laughs> I'm not trying to make a quick buck and put my whole account in jeopardy for a dollar. I have 505 games. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I love you, baby. <laughs> okay, so that's Nvidia. Oh, that's right, that's Steam. And um, it kind of boggles my mind. I believe Steam. Sorry, I believe Valve and Blizzard have similar revenues. <laughs> and basically, Blizzard apologizes profusely when it takes them more than 24 hours to get back to you. And when they do get back to you, how would you describe Blizzard's uh, WoW GMs, for example? I think the only time I've seen really slow service is that, is that major, is that game launch. Now, I've seen better, I've seen really good response time even on patch day. Oh, sure. And then when, when you have their attention, how do they treat you? Like you're the only person who has their attention. That's for damn sure. And... 
then they uh, they make sure you're happy. And if you're hell, they don't even make sure you're happy. They fin- they give they give you information and they uh, throw in a, a joke just for good measure. That's right. The WoW the the World of Warcraft uh, game managers and uh, support staff are renowned for being super cheerful and super nice. They really care about your situation. They uh, well, they they know the game intimately. They play the game. They um, they're just so gracious and nice, and they actually do. They are renowned for telling you a joke. You can ask them any of them to tell you a joke about World of Warcraft, and they have like a big list of them, and they'll tell you one. Yeah, which is so cool. So that and that's and that's just if you're speaking to them in game, like they'll whisper you in game if you're having any if you're online at the time. Yeah, that's right. Otherwise, they send you an email saying sorry we missed you. Like they're apologizing that they couldn't help you immediately, which is so cool. Yes, yeah, so you can get you get an in game email, or if you file or if you put your uh, request through uh, battle.net then they send then you get an email to your inbox and even mm. if you don't do and if you do it through in game you always get an email in your inbox remind stating that you have that your ticket has been received so you know your ticket went through that's right and then when you're done they send you a survey were you happy with our answer were you happy with our attitude would you recommend this to other people based on this support experience do you have any other feedback that we haven't been able to express in the form of multiple choice questions that's right they actually care whereas Steam, Valve, they have too many engineers. They think like engineers. They don't think like service people, which is really weird because Gabe Newell has gone on the record to say that the way that you win loyalty is by treating your product like a service. It's not like a thing in a box and you give someone the box and your relationship is over. It should be a service where they are your subscriber. And in fact, in the the Steam uh, end user license agreement or whatever they call it, Mm -hmm. they call it a subscriber agreement because you don't own your Steam games, you subscribe to them, which of course gives them the legal out to remove and revoke all of your games at whim because you don't own them, you're just renting them. So that's something to keep in mind the next time you want to choose uh, good old games over Steam, by the way. Um, So, but that, that also supports the fact that if you're a subscriber, it means that you are subscribing to their ongoing service and that you should be getting ongoing benefits. They should be trying to keep their subscription status. They shouldn't be dismissive. They want to incentivize you to remain their active, loyal customer who makes purchases on a regular basis. So Steam support sucks. It still su- it still sucks. The only thing that's improved is the uh, response time. It took them much less time to give me a sucky answer. So you suck, Steam. Yes, they do. But now I have, but on the upside, I got a new Steam badge. Director of acquisitions, meaning I have more than 500 games to my name. Oh, way to go. Yeah, I know. I stopped giving a shit about Steam experience levels. Some people on my Steam thing, they like put together the cards and stuff like that. And they get all these levels and they have the fancy profiles. I just sell, whenever I get the trading cards from a Steam game, I sell them for between like 11 and 2 cents or something. I've made a few bucks over the years. Yeah, I sell mine. I put a couple together just because I happen to because I happen to like that game a lot. Yeah, I used to give them to you because you you cared about it for a short while. When it was cool. Now it's just okay, whatever. So now but I'm my steam level is 22. I have one person on my list who is level 25, mm-hmm. and if I actually click to see his profile, he has a friend who's who has a level of 32. Yeah, I've seen I think 50 is the maximum. I've seen 50s. I'm level 16. And most of that, I think, was because I've been a Steam customer for 10 years and I did some bullshit during their community events and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All right, I have one more quick support uh, experience. So this was a little bit more positive, even though, just because of how seriously they took me, even though they couldn't resolve my issue in the end. I think I've talked previously about Skyrim and um, 
Yeah, right. When I talked about Fallout 4, because I think it has similar or the same issues where it's locked at 60 frames per second. And if you try to play it faster than 60 frames per second, there's all this instability. I think it's bad in Fallout 4, but it's much worse in Skyrim. So if we try to play Skyrim on our 144 hertz monitors, the physics glitch out, the AI glitches out, and the last time I tried it, I like leveled up, and it, I tried to go to the level up screen, and it just wouldn't show. It would just turn the screen black. And if I pressed escape, it would go back to the game. But if I pressed tab to go back to that screen, it would just go black again. So it's woefully buggy, and I'm really pissed off at Bethesda. This super rich company could not could not fix their games. They're such a recent game to keep it modern. Because if it doesn't work like three or four years later, it's not going to work seven or eight years later. So the only way to get Skyrim to run properly is to force my whole computer to only run at 60 frames per second. I can do that through the NVIDIA control panel. So that means my Windows desktop and all games have a maximum frame rate of 60 frames a second. It's not a huge imposition, but it's annoying. i got to open NVIDIA control panel, go to the right screen, change it to 60 frames per second, like hit apply, wait for it to apply, say yes, I'm sure. Then I play the game, then I exit the game, and then I have to repeat that whole other experience to put it back to 144 hertz. So I was reading a little bit about the NVIDIA control panel API hooks, and apparently there's a bunch of commands that you can do from the command line to instruct NVIDIA control panel to apply certain settings temporarily or to apply them and then to apply different settings later. So I thought I'd make myself a batch file. Set system frame rate to 60, run Skyrim, and then set system frame rate to 144. I couldn't figure out how to do it, though, how to, how to make those happen from the command line. So I emailed NVIDIA support. They said, we'll get back to you in 24 hours. They got back to me in like 110 hours, whatever. Um, and the reply I got was, uh, we're investigating your, uh, your claim. We're elevating you up to level two support. Uh, we'll get back to you soon. So I'm like, okay, cool. They're taking me seriously. They actually put thought into it. They actually read my email and understand my issue. So then I got a reply, and I had a short back and forth with the NVIDIA support guy, and basically what they said is that you can't make a batch file. It's up to the developer of the game to kind of support certain features about locking your frame rate to 60 frames a second, and you can't force that from uh, in a programmatic way on NVIDIA. So, too bad. So I couldn't do it, but the guy understood my issue, and he tried to help me, and he knew what I was trying to do, and he said... I couldn't do it that way. So I said, thanks for listening to me. Thanks for the support. Have a good day. That is good support. Even if they couldn't fix your problem, they mm -hmm. still gave you the support you were looking That's for. That's right. And I said, um, high frame rate monitors are becoming more popular now. Maybe you'll consider in the future in your drivers adding this feature. And, and yes, you can close the ticket. Whenever I do a support call that I'm satisfied with, I always try to say, you can close the ticket just so that they're sure of it. Mm -hmm. <sighs> All right, is that all of our darkitude? That's I our darkitude. Yeah, and now we can get into the nerdier stuff. <laughs> yeah, the nerdier stuff. The, now we get to hear from you, nerds. <laughs> we love you, nerds. We love you, listeners, so much. We really appreciate your oh, listening we, and your participation. Yeah, and we got more verbosity from uh, Father Beast King again. <laughs> Father Beast King, yay. <laughs> Would you like to... We have, we have a couple of letters this week. Do you want to read this big one or do you want to read the shorter one? I'll take this one. Oh, very brave of you. Thank All yours, Toots. Hi, Father Beast again. On the subject of games that I hate, I can only think of one. Most games that I would hate, I generally end up not playing. <laughs> so I end up not hating them either. <laughs> That's Why didn't I think of that? Jeez. Yeah, I kind of had that problem when I was trying to find games I hated. Because, like him, if I hate a game, I don't play it. 
The one exception was from back in the Commodore 64 days. There was this game called Forbidden Forest, which was getting a lot of hype for some reason. I'm not sure where I was getting it from, but it seemed to me that people were talking about how awesome the graphics were and I had to try it. I don't recall whether this the version I got was a pirated copy or a demo version. Probably pirated. I don't think demos were much of a thing back then. And frankly, I don't care. I'm just glad that I didn't pay actual money for this trash. Forbidden Forest. It's a first-person shooter where you are holding a bow and arrow. Using the joystick, you can pan back and forth and up and down, but there is a danger that you might miss something coming on one side while you're looking at the other. Pressing the button didn't immediately shoot an arrow. Instead, pushing the button would cause a two-second drawback and shoot animation. And if you waited too long before shooting, you would still be pulling it back when a giant spider would jump on you and you experience this five-second unskippable death animation. Mm. Sounds like Skyrim, sort of. <laughs> It was almost it was an almost guaranteed occurrence that you would be panning back and forth and see a giant spider all, already too close for you to shoot an arrow Shut up, bird. arrow at it, and you would spend a second watching your inevitable doom approach and then the unskippable five second death animation. Ah I played it over and over, trying to actually hit one of these things. Since your timing had to be almost perfect, even when you could see them coming from further away. If you shoot when they were too far away, your arrow would your arrow falls short, and by that time, and by the time you can shoot again, the giant spider is upon you. Well, you're in the middle of drawing. Cute five second unskippable death animation. <laughs> now you have to judge when the spider is going to be in range, and then hit the start hit the button to start the draw and shoot animation to uh, two seconds before it gets to that point. Finally, I got to the point where I actually shot one of them. My reward. It starts over after a microscopically short thud sound. Three seconds later, I was stuck with yet another five-second skippable unanimation. I quit. Really? It punishes you with for losing with a five-second unskippable death animation, but the reward for, for winning is about nothing. At least that's how I remember it. I hate this game. Father Beast. Oh, then he follows up with a brief one. Hi, Squares. I looked up a play of Forbidden Forest on YouTube, and I realized I may be looking at the game through rage-colored glasses. Sorry, Father Beast. <laughs> That's totally fair. Thank you so much, Father Beast, for your letter. Ah, that was great. Feathers. I know we got feathers. We got feathered ringtards. <laughs> um, great, great to hear from you, Father Beast. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of nice. I guess we. I guess our, when we're when we're. Uh, submerged in the experience of a game ourselves, we're, we're more liable to have a more severe uh, impression of it, whether it's positive or negative. I guess that's why a lot of people don't like to play the games that they loved as a kid because they often don't hold up over time. But I guess the inverse is true as well, that if you really hated a game and then you kind of see what it looks like nowadays, maybe you've had time to reflect on it and it doesn't quite seem so bad. So I've uh, stuck a link to uh, Forbidden Forest um, Forbidden on YouTube. Forest. She's wiggling her finger, fingers mysteriously like she's casting a Forbidden Frig spell. <laughs> You're a Forbidden Frig spell. <laughs> so I'll, yeah. So click it and see for yourself. Beep. Beep. All right, shall I get the next one? Yes, you shall. 
this next one is from Avi Hayun. Hello, Avi. I owe Avi a, a, a voicemail or a letter or something for his podcast, by the way, and I uh, advise you all to do the same. Um, Avi says, hi, Brian. Hi, Bianca, too, I'm sure. Still following the <laughs> still following the Square Waves FM show addictively, so I wanted to say hello. Also heard on your show, episode 42, I think, about some of your Android ventures, so I wanted to recommend, as proud Nexus 5 owner, about the Cataclysm ROM. He has a link to this, too. I love this ROM, which is specifically for Nexus 5. The thing about this ROM is that it maintains the bare-bones original Google look and feel and optimization, and it adds only slight, very light changes which make a big difference, like not showing an empty drop-down when you swipe your finger top to down, so if you don't have any notifications, it will make your single swipe count as a double swipe. Oh, that's smart. Like being able to manage the icons you want to see when double swiping from the top to down, and like having a nice core widget for showing lighting the LED instead of downloading another bloated application and so on. Cool. Really recommend it. And you were right. The Wugfresh, uh, he's talking about Wugfresh's Nexus Root Toolkit, is the, best, <laughs> is the best way to go about rooting and flashing the Nexus 5 devices. On another note, for those who need bigger buttons and simpler phones, parents, etc., <laughs> I suggest buying a regular Android uh, just adding a new launcher called Big Launcher. That's all for now, Avi. Thank you very much for your letter, Avi. Um, Cataclysm ROM with those little tweaks. That sounds pretty neat. Um, I uh, found an Easter egg for Marshmallow OS, which, um, so when you when you swipe down from the top, or if you do uh, twice, or if you swipe down from the top with two fingers, it brings down... The or, uh, below the notification shade, it's like the uh, settings screen. So at the very, very top of that is uh, an indicator for the battery and a little gear icon and then a, a, an icon for your user account. So if you tap the little gear icon, it takes you to your system settings. But if you hold your finger down on, the, on that gear icon, the gear starts to spin around. And if you do that for five seconds or so, it unlocks – what's it called? Let me check the hidden system UI tuner. And so one of the things you can do on the system UI tuner is change the icons that appear in that settings thing, just like you've mentioned in Cataclysm ROM. Um, I think these are options that were available in the development version of uh, the latest OS, but they couldn't decide whether to put it in or not, and maybe they'll put it in in a future version. But if you're a tweaker, a hacker, then you can do that yourself. Uh, what was the other thing you mentioned? Oh, yeah, right, changing the LED. Um, I did uh, download an, an application for that once. Uh, different notifications on Android will make the LED on the front of the, of the phone flash. But um, you can download an app that will say, um, if uh, that lets you customize it. So if you get an email from this person, flash the LED at this speed in this color. Or if uh, you have an SMS message waiting, make it this color. If you have a phone call, uh, voicemail waiting, flash that color. So that's kind of neat. It's nice that they would put that into the OS instead of installing another app, especially since you never know what uh, people are going to bundle into their apps, if it's going to be ads or malware or whatever. And, oh yeah, Big Launcher. I'll, um, I've been looking around at launchers lately to see if I want to replace Apex Launcher, which I use. Because Apex is fantastic, but sometimes it uh, is a little bit slow. It takes a few seconds for me to get back to my home screen, but it's fine otherwise. So I couldn't find a decent replacement, but Big Launcher that he mentions is one of them that caught my eye. Um, instead of having like 30 icons on your home screen, it puts like six on your home screen and they're really big. 
So it's very easy to use for someone that doesn't want to deal with the complexity of the ordinary Android uh, home screen. So thanks a lot, uh, Avi. I'll uh, include your links in the show notes. I really appreciate the letter and hope you're doing well. Okay, that is all of our pre-topic shenanigans, with the exception of what we've played this week. Mm-hmm. So, Why don't you start, since your list is nice and short. Okay, my list is nice and short. Man, I wish I could play more games. Well, I could play, I could play more games, but uh, even after the Steam sale, during the Steam sale, very few games interested me, because I owned all the stuff that I really wanted. Um, so I've only played a little bit of stuff this week. We've been watching more movies and shows and stuff. Um, we uh, finished Star Trek, the original series. Oh, well, yeah, we did. The third season is kind of one note and very bland. And the last third season episode, kind of sucks, except with some exceptions. I like the last episode. I thought that was pretty cool. I wasn't terribly crazy about it. Oh, where Kirk gets kidnapped by some lady who swaps bodies with him, and I thought that was cool. That was the stupidest little horse that I've ever seen. <laughs> I like. Oh, it. it was just a steaming pile of. And then Kirk has to convince his crew that he's a woman all of a sudden, and that the person that looks like him is actually evil. So that was pretty neat. Anyway. Um, one game that I played this week as I play a little bit every day, usually for like 30 seconds a day, is Adventure Capitalist. I've been talking about this game for months. They just had an event on the Steam version for uh, Black Friday. They called it Black and Blue Friday or something Black like that. Black and Blue Friday, which Friday, which they extended to include Cyber Monday. That's right. So it was just like a four or five day event or something where you get a new area to level up your stuff. It's a game where you try to make more money over time by like increasing your multipliers. I don't know how else to describe it. It's like a really mundane, stupid game, but it's very addictive and you want to keep coming back because you make progress while you're logged off. I love I love idle games where you do a few little taps and then it plays itself in the background and then you come back to it and you've made progress. So Bianca did a little bit better than me at that. I didn't uh, put as much time into it, but I almost finished it and you almost almost finished it. Yeah, I got to 9 of 10. I was like too... Uh click short of the one investment I needed to get five more megabucks. Yeah, that's right. You probably needed a few more hours. Yeah. And I, I think I got eight of ten, so it, whatever. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I played a little bit of Black Mesa, which is the remake of Half-Life 1. Uh, it's so excellent. I really, really love it. I am embarrassed to say that I am stuck somewhere. I, I uh, am probably like a quarter of the way through the game or so, and I'm lost. And I haven't been lost in a first-person shooter in a long time, and I sort of miss that. It's kind of nice to have levels that are sufficiently complex that I'm not sure where to go next. Unfortunately, I don't know whether it's uh, the map design or a bug. Maybe some door was supposed to have unlocked and I missed it, or maybe I keep coming up to the same fork in the road and I keep going the same way every time, thinking that I've already been the other way. That's usually what happens when you get lost in a first-person shooter. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably restart the level and maybe something will dawn on me. But uh, I'm enjoying it a lot. The dialogue in particular is really good. A lot of it's quite funny and amusing and immersive. There's a lot more voice actors and they go into a little bit more depth to, to describe the world. The textures are nice. Very um, nice graphics, actually. I was Pretty nice graphics. Considering that it's just a... It's a it's supposed to be uh, represent. It's supposed to be. It's an extension of Half Life, the original. Mm-hmm. It looks much. It looks more. Uh, the textures and graphics looks look closer to uh, Half Life Two and the uh, episodes. Yeah, that's true. They look better than Half Life Two in the episode, just in terms of their like high definition. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, their um, whatever. They look good. It doesn't look like a modern game, but it looks like a not uh, like a pretty modern game. So it's very nice. It's been in development for a long time. So. By the time they publish it, it'll look even more dated. But it's in open access, and I got it for half price to 10 bucks, and it was definitely worth that. So I'm having a good time with that. Uh, the last game I'll talk about 
was just released yesterday. I don't know how you say this guy's name, William Pug, P-U-G-H. He's the guy, he's one of the co-designers of the Stanley Parable. So I really like their game design, uh, his game design philosophies and uh, how personable and human his games feel. This one was called uh, Dr. Langiskov, the Tiger, and the Terribly Cursed Emerald, a Whirlwind Heist. Give me a break. That's exactly the kind of stupid name I would expect from this. <laughs> so it's a free, I think it's like a, like a teaser sort of for a, another game that they're working on. And it's kind of like supplementary content where it sort of alludes to this other game that's happening and you're you as a player are kind of running behind the scenes of this like factory or fun house that sort of makes the game experience happen for the person who's really playing the game so it's very meta and very peculiar i don't know if it really has much of a point but it's only 20 minutes long and it's free so for sure you should play it why the heck not it's very stylish and very attractive it's kind of lonely but it's sort of the uh, it's sort of the Portal 1 kind of a feel where uh, you have a narrator talking to you throughout, but you don't really see any other people. But uh, this gave the illusion that there are people all around you. You just missed them. So give it a try. It's weird. It's real weird. How big is it? 600 megs. 600 megs. That means those of you with horrible backwater uh, internet connections, like uh, <laughs> our good friend Ben Chandler, maybe even you could be would be able to play that. Very interesting little experiment. I love games that are brave enough to be only 20 minutes long. Uh, so give that a check out. Alright, dear, why don't you go through your voluminous list? <laughs> yeah, so I procured a bunch of games on sale, and for those of you who remember me mentioning this before, I am a Nation States mod, and because the site did incredibly well with our uh, with the ads, we have ads on it, so what? Shoot us. We use Google AdSense, so apparently we had a bit of a surplus, and so uh, the site's owner rewarded every member of the team. Yeah, the volunteer team. Yeah. With $100 US, and he said, okay, gift certificates, or he volunteered that pay your electricity bill, electricity or utility bill, whatever. That's nice. So I'm like, uh, I'm thinking, I, I talked to Brian before, and we established that if I get gift certificates, I become paralyzed with indecision. <laughs> and uh, I just sit there and I don't decide, I can't decide on anything. So when I emailed the, the site owner to tell him what I wanted, I said, um, I have, I could ask for gifts. I like, I can't ask for gift certificates. I don't, I won't know what to get, but I do have my steam wish list. And so I got a bunch of those, I got a bunch of those off. I got a bunch of games off that list. Which I, most of which I played, only a couple of them I haven't played yet. Oh, but, by the way, while you're on that topic, this is your annual reminder to take a second look at your Steam wish list because if somebody buys you a present, you may as well have them buy something that you want and not something that you added to your wish list and now regrets because then you're stuck with the game. Yeah, make sure you put the ones you really want at the top and then just tack any, and then make sure you have at least 10 things because you know Steam's going to have its annual uh, uh, random drawings. Oh yeah, they probably will. Yeah, they're having another sale in a in two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. Yep. So my list of stuff I've played, which includes from the from the sale and my gifts. Yay, early gifts. Yeah. I don't know if I call them Hanukkah, Christmas, or otherwise. Well, I don't know. We're sort of yanking into all three of those <laughs> situations, aren't we? Yep. So first, let's see. So what I played, Sinister City. Another one of those uh, finest shit games, but it was coupled with... Uh, oh, is that the one that Francisco dared us to play? Uh, 
I already had it on my list. He didn't really dare me. He suggested that I do it. I took him up on the suggestion. You took it as more of a dare. It was so stupid. <laughs> Actually, I don't know. It had some cool. Me- it had a good variety of mechanics and stuff. Yeah. But oh, you want to stay in my hotel? No problem. Find my fourteen receipts that I've scattered in seven rooms. <laughs> It was really stupid. I have to give it credit for doing some, like having a variety of tasks to do yeah. and having different oh, puzzles. Oh, thanks for finding my receipts. Now I need you to go find the room keys. Oh, <laughs> it was really stupid. It was, I, hey, look, it, I didn't hate it because I finished it. Not the worst game I've ever seen. But just the dialogue was the, stupid, but the rest of it was okay. It's the worst thing you played this week, that's for sure. <laughs> Let's see, moving down my list, Bioshock. I, um... Made some progress. I'm in now. Um, I'm just walking around trying to find uh, this one power-up I need, the telekinesis power. I got my fire, and I uh, melted some ice that was blocking my way. Yeah, it's a little bit heavy-handed at first when you get a new power and giving you a specific scenario to use it in. Mm-hmm. Like when you get the fire, it's in a room where there are a bunch of enemies and outside. And you have to set fire to the oil. Yeah, that's right. But that's how you learn, I guess. That's like uh, yeah. tutorial is gameplay kind of stuff. So that's all right. Yeah, I guess. it's a tutorial without being a tutorial, which is interesting. So it forces, it shows you how to use it. Well, it's a game for the mainstream, so it's a little heavy-handed, but it could be worse. Yeah, it's heavy-handed, and the thing is, I it's like okay, here's your new power. Now use it. Okay, that's fine, and it doesn't. And it's not too bad. I don't mind that. How'd you like the first twenty or thirty minutes of the game, though? That was interesting. Uh, I I found it interesting that that this is as a break from the. Uh, religious uh, confederate utopia that uh, Infinite has. That this is the uh, Anne Rand to uh, paradise. Yeah, it's kind of like a philosophical gubernatorial uh, libertarian paradise. Mm-hmm. Very hands-off. You're the, uh, this, you're, you're the, you earn the uh, sweat of your labors. No one else is entitled to it. Mm-hmm. The sweat of your labors. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Sounds like delivery room <laughs> malady. <laughs> Let's see, moving down the list. Life is Strange. Um, this was not a... It's a game I've had for a year. And I, I played the first episode back in February. But I hadn't played it in a while because I was waiting for episode for the remaining episode to, came, to come out. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really paid attention to it. And all of a sudden, I had all, all, all the episodes. And so I decided to go back and play it. And uh, play it, which involved replaying episode one. Not only to make sure that I remembered the story, but to collect the achievements. Because achievements, 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 achievements. Stop bouncing. That's very distracting. (laughs) Achievements. Hey, don't uh, don't make me pause this podcast. (laughs) It's achievements. Achievements. Are my my reason d'etre. My reason for playing games most of the time. That's lame. (laughs) Why? I love achievements. You know, games are fun. Without someone telling you, I you just had fun. Yeah, and achievements make games fun for me. Let's see. Yeah, I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> Next on my list was uh, kind of a, I I call it an FMV, but at the same time, it had a lot of way too much reading for an FMV. Oh yeah, maybe this and, is the worst game you played all week. <laughs> and I wanted to finish this game. I wanted to play this game, but I couldn't take the fucking belly aching from Brian. When I, I bought them for you too. I'm like, oh look, it's three Sherlock Holmes FMV games. That's awesome. Like, don't play it yet. Wait till I'm with you. <laughs> That's me earlier this week. Yeah, they're so, like a dollar each. So I so I started playing Sherlock Holmes Mummy Curse of the Mummy or Mummy's Curse. Oh, it's a curse of the shit game. <laughs> 
I actually am enjoying it, but I can't play it with Brian in the room because Please don't. Because <laughs> he makes it miserable. There's games like this that I can't play when he's around because he just has this big fucking bellyache over this game I'm playing. As if I'm somehow torturing him by playing these games. You are. <laughs> and so if I put on headphones, well, you're putting on headphones. You have to put on headphones. Pardon the crap out of my butt. Okay. Next on my list, the cat machine. Meow. Yeah. <laughs> this really is so cute. cute game. It's, it's a puzzle game. It's yeah, very it's a puzzle cute. game. And the objective of the game is you're going to help these cats maintain Earth's orbit. And you maintain Earth's orbit by launching cats into orbit along different colored tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, next on my list is Black Sails. Another, <laughs> it's a point and click adventure. I have no idea where it made. Not too badly translated. I mean, I've seen worse translations. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, still have to figure out how to open use a use a razor blade on a wall without my protagonist crying about how she's gonna cut herself. Um, next down the list, human resource machine. Mm -hmm. Basic. This is another puzzle game, but very interesting. It deviates from the puzzle from most from most other puzzle games. It requires uh, programming logic. You have you start with the very at the very at its very basic. And it's, and it's very base is you have a room. You have an inbox and an outbox. And your objective is to move something from your inbox to the outbox. As you progress, you have to uh, move the items from the out inbox to the outbox, but in a very specific way. So let's say uh, your first your first option you have and uh, you have to move it. So let's say you have to move all objects, but you can't do it unless you uh, made unless you. Uh, Take the first and second object, add the numbers together, and then you put the uh, value of that, that uh, you put the sum on the outbox. That's, that's one example. And some of them are multipliers, dividers, and it just gets really complicated. I'm in year 19 now, and it's pretty hard. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I just had to take a break because my brain started going, turning to mush. Yeah, from my limited understanding of assembler language, I think this is like trying to do memory... Like memory management in assembler language, it's like take the value, take a variable from here, and store it in memory in slot one, and then extract it from memory slot one, and compare it to slot two. And if one is bigger than the other, then discard one and use the other. Or if it's greater than zero, then put it here. Otherwise, discard it. Mm -hmm. It's like step by step, and it's sort of like flowcharty in the way that you have to give the commands. It's somewhere halfway between like one of those. Logo turtle style uh, program a robot kind of things and like a flow chart or a list of commands. Mm -hmm. It's a really good interface and it's a, it looks like a challenging game. When I see it on sale, I'll grab it. And at the bottom of this list of stuff played this week, we have a walking sim, Lifeless Planet. Um, I'm an American cosmonaut. I've landed on some weird ass planet. My ship crashed. An American cosmonaut? Astronaut. I don't know. What the fuck am I? <sighs> Okay, know. I'm some dude in a spacesuit. Thank you. <laughs> With an American flag on your butt. Of course, because I can't. I'm not allowed using fancy words here. Too much for your little brain. Cosmonaut is Russian. I don't know. It's it's fancy girl. Actually, I would say that it was. It has its derivatives in Latin. I don't think they call whatever. It's a Russian term. That's what you. That's the word True, you use to but describe all Russian the, but all these languages have. Have derived have uh, their. I don't care. <laughs> Just describe the game, you know, professor science. <laughs> so, 
I'm a dude in a suit. I'm walking around, and I gotta figure out where I am. Um, I find another shuttle that's crashed, and eventually I find this abandoned village on this planet that's not Earth, and it's got a Soviet flag. Yeah, apparently. Okay, so we're gonna gather from this that it's set during the Cold War. I find a Soviet village on planet that kind of has a Mars-esque atmosphere in the terrain. And as I'm walking, I eventually find this research laboratory. And miracle of miracles, I can get some electricity to turn on, and the Russian national anthem comes on. As I walk through the door, I get some dynamite, and I can blow up a, a hole in the wall. And yes, there's, and all of a sudden, I find another person on this planet. I have no idea what's going on, but there's a village, and I'm a dude in a spacesuit. That's all I know, and I can jump. And I have to jump, because that's the only way you get around here. It's a walking I, simulator with it's, jumping. It's a walking sim with jumping and a jetpack. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's an interesting game. Because when you uh, when you pass certain things, all of a sudden the behind you will sometimes change to be to create a continuous looking uh, environment. So when I first encountered, for example, when I first encountered the village after I climbed up this cliff, I went to turn around to see the cliff I'd come up, and it disappeared. Not all I could see but just this really like, ever everlasting road with these uh, just these power lines going down one side. Same again with with uh, something else I encountered. Like event, like when I walked past a certain point, I couldn't. It was almost like it disappeared, and it was, and I was beyond the point of no return. Yeah, so it seems kind of weird, like exploring some planet with these like metaphysical manifestations of like an American landscape every now and then, or a Russian landscape, I guess. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and a couple of times, I ha I uh, see these little, I saw a bed up here in the middle of nowhere, and I, once I walked up to it, it disappeared. Or some stuff, or what looks like this beautiful room. I enter it, and, uh, and all around me, it just slowly fades out, and it becomes, and then the, uh, and then the scenery just returns, so it all merges back together. Mm -hmm. Interesting so far. And there, this, it's, it doesn't make much sense, but at least there is, there are bits and pieces of us. Uh, information as you go along and of course you know the first the first achievement you get in this game because this game has achievements is well for me it was the gravity kills i tried to jump onto a rock and it looked like i should land there instead the rock falls over and i make a face plant to the ground in fact i think the designers made it on purpose so that's the first thing you do in this game is you die i think they did it on purpose but fortunately when you die it's very forgiving. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. You just start again a little bit back. Yeah, you start like maybe five feet back. Mm -hmm. And you don't lose anything else and you don't and but still it was a rock and the thing is you had to jump on it. You had no choice. You had to jump on this bloody rock. There's no way around it, honestly. Okay. <laughs> anything else about this game? Mm. I just appreciate that that once you that the that uh, there's you can't really go back after a certain point. You're kind of forced to go forward, so you're not stuck. So you don't get lost. It it does. It gives you a slight nudge in the right direction when the time comes. But other than that, it gives you a full reign to explore, and it doesn't really hold your hand. 
Just, just little nudges after every major save point, mm -hmm. which is nice. So it doesn't feel. So it doesn't really interfere. The engine doesn't interfere, and it lets you explore. Occasionally, your guide does make a comment. Like I walk to the edge of a cliff, and he goes, "That's a long way down." Oh, I like when they do that. Mm -hmm. So good game. It's if you like walking sims or just you know expo exploration games. This one is. Uh, yeah, this is in the Unity engine for those of you who are about to bitch about that. But I don't what? care. Why would anyone bitch about the Unity engine? I someone complained. I've had a couple of our listeners have uh, asked when something is in the Unity Engine or complained about something being in there. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Unity Engine is a good one. That's the engine that basically guarantees that it's going to be released on Mac and Linux and maybe also on, on mobile. Hmm. Okay, then. I don't remember anyone complaining about Unity. Or asking it for us. I don't remember me either. But yeah, good game. Love it. It's uh, at least it's not horror so far. There are dark areas, but not scary dark. Just not illuminated. <laughs> and no weird dancing shadows like in uh, Moon Sliver. <laughs> All right. Topic! <laughs> topic. Okay. Thanks for hanging out there. <laughs> for hanging in there with us, uh, folks. Our topic for the day is modding. So we have a few more letters to read about modding, which is awesome. And we have a voicemail to share as well. Um... I'll read this one. You can read the next one. Okay. All right. Our first one is from uh, Robert Menez. Hello, Robert. Thanks for uh, writing to us. He says, Hi, Squares. This time I'm emailing because 140 characters would be too few to discuss the topic du jour of your next episode. So, mods and TCs in games, you say. TCs are total conversions. Well, let's take it straight to that one game that was meant for all, for all that and a bag of chips. The 1993 classic, Doom. I know that I mentioned before in the episode I was on that I played a ton of Doom, but let's get into it a little more. Doom was the game that made me get bitten by the game designer bug. It was the voice of God, the epiphany, the calling. <laughs> Hammy there, buddy. <laughs> I played countless hours of Doom, then bought books on level design for Doom, grabbed tons of tools including Dehacked, D-E-U, the level edit editor, and got Deluxe Paint 4 and went to town. I created stages, compiled PWADs of various changed graphics and sounds from either stuff I found online or made myself, and threw everything together in all sorts of weird ways. I had the obligatory Barney the Dinosaur monster mods, Barons of Hell became Barney, <laughs> one that turned the cacodemons into Bill Clinton's head that shot spend tax at you, <laughs> another that turned demons into naked green flying succubi which upon death I punctuated with a vocal clip of Courtney Love screaming fuck <laughs> and all kinds of other silliness but before I forget special mention to another mod I had gotten from a BBS turning the demons into cartoon penguins that burp in your face <laughs> That's cool. Phew, talk about fish breath. <laughs> I continued the trend with Duke 3D, although for Duke it was more of making levels and playing other created stages. I did buy Duke It Out in DC, Duke It Out in DC, but not Caribbean or Nuclear Winter. Okay, I think I'll shut up now and let you guys get back to the show. Enjoy enjoy and looking forward to being back again come the new year. Beep. <laughs> Robert. <laughs> I, I, I sure love how a square wave sound is beep. And that you beeped for us, and now we're the beep show. Yay, beep. 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 Thanks, Robert. Um, I had Doom on my list as well. I'm sure I tried a few different mods. The only one I could think about uh, and remember was the Barney 
uh, mod, Barney Doom was scary. Because you would hear him singing his cutesy-poo little songs. Instead of, like, the snarlings of demons, you would hear, I love you, you love me. And there would be, like, 18 of them <laughs> within the vicinity. Ugh, it was really creepy. That like, is terrifying. Big, scary dinosaur, like, muttering to himself in the hallways while he's patrolling around. It was really spooky. <laughs> I like that a lot. I, um... I'm sure that I tried more Doom mods than that, and I can't really think of any. I can't really think of any. What a shame. That spirit kind of lives on a little bit in Left 4 Dead, which takes play. It takes advantage of the uh, Doom. Uh, sorry, of the Steam Workshop. Uh, my favorite one being a mod that changes the tank. The tank is like a, a special infected zombie that occasionally spawns, and it has tons of hit points and can smash you to pieces. So instead of uh, being this big pink gross thing, it is Macho Man Randy Savage going, oh, yeah. Uh, That's really cool. That's disturbing. There's a great mod uh, of him in uh, Skyrim as well, which changes all the dragons into Macho Man Randy Sa Savage going, oh, yeah, and snap into a Slim Jim. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. <laughs> you want to get to the next uh, mail, Tuts? Sure. Hi, Father Beast again, or yet again. <laughs> I just want to take this opportunity to complain about those games, co those game companies, which decided to make yet another sequel in the game franchise, which is fine, and then oh, decide to name it the same name as the original, which is not fine. Oh shit! I guess this isn't <laughs> this doesn't have to do with our topic, but that's okay. Let's read it anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about games like SimCity or King's Quest or XCOM, and while we're at it, let's also call out the Xbox One for making it really awkward <laughs> to refer to the first one in the series. I will now predict the next version of Xbox, and it will be called. Either the Xbox original or the Xbox first. <laughs> but seriously, just what are they thinking when they decide on these names? Do they actually imagine that in 10 years, so long ago, nobody remembers the original? Are they trying to hide how many previous versions there have been? And we see further example, and where will we see further examples of this? Will the next installments of Civilizations, Assassin's Creed, or Final Fantasy have no number or subtitle to differentiate them from the first one long and however long ago? Discuss, Father Beast. <laughs> yeah, that's stupid. That's a stupid thing that jerk companies do for dummies. Mm -hmm. And um, However, in fact, oh, that was my note for after. I, in fact, I think that's what Windows should have done. Instead of calling their latest operating system Windows 10, skipping 9 entirely, they should have just called it Windows. No, they should have called it Windows first or Windows 1. Windows 1, because Microsoft has a lot of trouble counting. Mm -hmm. Xbox 360 and then Xbox One, like whatever. The next one will be Xbox negative 62. <laughs> yeah, that's stupid. They're, that's stupid and people who make games are stupid. Or at least people who market them, they're all stupid. It's stupid. I know. I, wasn't there a real logic behind Windows 10 because uh, uh, of legacy folders? But Yeah, that's what I heard. And that seems like a good reason to me, saying that you couldn't call it Windows 9 because there's a lot of software that says if you're running Windows... 9x like 95 or 98 then don't work anymore i don't know if that was really true but that's a pretty good excuse if not mm -hmm. so yeah that's stupid and I, my note here is that uh screw companies who put a copyright or a registered trademark symbol in the folder name yeah i think it was electronic arts who did this more than anyone else if they did like a branded game or like a, a game about a movie or something they would put a little trademark symbol next to the next to the word of the movie, like, in the actual folder name, like, fuck off. That's dumb. Yeah. Someone <laughs> should make a game where they use, where they find a way to use the registered trademark, the registered symbol, the trademark symbol, and the copyright symbol in the name of their game. Yeah. 
and then that way it's actually used contextually without it, and then without it being at the end just to make fun of all the companies who do use it in their name let's see i wonder if i have anything like that what copyright the game <laughs> no i mean danger they put that in the freaking title hmm. oh maybe i don't know but I'm thinking of games where they actually put it... Like, you make a folder on your hard drive, and they have to put a fucking trademark symbol in the folder text, in the name of the folder on your hard drive. Yeah, that is pretty stupid. Isn't like, you got to have a pretty small dick to do that, I figure. Or to require that. Oh, uh, totally. I'll also, by the way, give a nice middle finger to uh, Electronic Arts for creating a million folders in my, my documents folder. Oh. I have, like... EA, EA Games, Electronic Arts. There's one where they misspelled it, and it says Electronic Arts. <laughs> and if you correct the spelling, it loses all your saved games. Um, there's like EA Sports, EA Big. They've made so many friggin' folder names, and if you like to retain your saved games over the years, like I do, you have like a million EA folders. So screw you, that's really dumb. Or there are a million folders when you're installing Sims. Yeah. That was ridiculous. They couldn't just have it. That's stupid too, unless you unless you modify it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we digress. Um, let me. I'm going to talk a little bit. Oh, Pac-Man Doom. I forgot about that one. That's right. There was. I don't remember if it was a mod or a total conversion or what. A total conversion, by the way, is when you change all the graphics and even the gameplay and the story of a game, but you use the base game engine. So it's just like a a bunch of mod packs that you install all in one, and it kind of turns it into a new game. Um, um, so I don't should know. we uh, do the voicemail before we go into this stuff? Oh, hell. Yeah. We have a voicemail, too. Yeah, we have ten minutes of listening to trolls uh, <laughs> meander on and off topic. So That's okay, uh, our birds need a nap. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they do. Where are they? Okay, good, they're peaceful. Oh, they're already napping. Yeah, okay, they're already napping. Well, trolls, we'll play, your, we'll play your voicemail anyway. And thanks a million for sending us a voicemail. We sure, we sure do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Okay, before I start my tirade, then, let's uh, give it away to trolls. Hey, squares. I'm the Space Quest Historian. You may remember me from those times I've guested on your show. Um, it's been an awful long while since I've called in, so I figured I, uh, I'd do that. Uh, so this is me calling in. I'll try to keep this short. <laughs> try, being the uh, operative word here. Um, you guys are talking about... Shit, what is it you're talking about this week? Uh, I've, because I have a huge backlog of your episodes. Well, huge. Um, there are some that I just, just flat out skipped. Um, uh, but you guys... Uh, the last one I've been listening to was about UIs. You guys have already covered that. Um, my, I'm, I'm just going to stand by Dawes Nostalgic and say that Leisure Suit Larry 7 has the best adventure game UI of all time. It combines everything I love about point and click, and it combines everything I love about parser games into one cohesive meld. Um, it, it, just, it just flat out works, and I don't see why any other game hasn't tried that since. Uh, and no one under my watch is going to bring up Harvester at this point, which did have a text parser when you were talking to people, but it was fucking useless. Um, so was most of that game, by the way. Guilty pleasure, though. Uh, anyway, that's not what I'm about to talk about. Uh, let's see. What the hell are you guys talking about? Oh, yeah, mods. That's the one. Mods. Uh, modding for games, I suppose. Not mod tracker music. <laughs> we're going to uh, Brian and I can, you know, get into our sweat box and our towels and loop each other up for that conversation later. Um, uh, modding is not something, you know, adventure games uh, aren't really big on modding. So, uh, well, I'm sorry to break some illusions here, but I do play other things than adventure games. At least I did when I was a kid. 
and uh, actually got my start in the multiplayer gaming way back in the olden days by, um, uh, we had a 486 and a 386 and we used to connect those with a serial cable and uh, friends would come over, well, a friend would come over and uh, we'd uh, play Doom 2 and um, and uh, Quake when that came out and probably, that was probably around the time the 386 got the boot, but anyway, uh, he would you know, you know bring his computer over as well and we'd uh, progress into uh, having, a, you know, actual LAN parties with uh, hubs and uh, uh, AJ45 uh, cables. They are called AJ45, aren't they? Who cares? Um, you know, actual fucking cables. Um, and, and play uh, uh, IPX um, multiplayer games. And uh, Quake was around the time when, uh, you know, modding started becoming a real thing. I'm sure there were games before that you, that you could mod, or at least, you know, fuck around with uh, by, uh, you know, editing hex files and whatever, but uh, uh, Quake actually supported modding through the Quake C uh, language that I never really picked up. Fuck, I couldn't even design a fucking level in Quake. I tried diddling around with one of those level editors and it's just, you know, fuck it. <laughs> I have no idea what I was doing. I was pretty good at making Duke Nukem 3D levels and did a couple of Doom levels and, uh, well, of course, Wolfenstein levels were easy peasy and, th and those were fun, but Quake couldn't even figure out how to make a fucking door. Um, anyway, um, we didn't play that many mods for a Quake 1. Uh, but around the time Quake 2 came out, we got heavily into this mod called Action Quake, and I'm sure you've heard of it, uh, because uh, apparently everyone who's played Quake 2 has heard of this. At least uh, that was the impression I got when I went to these, uh, you know, huge lands, you know, 250, 300 people. Um, people would sit around and, and play Action Quake, and the fun thing about Action Quake was that... Uh, it's, it, you know, it predates all the uh, stuff that we've come to expect with skeletal damage and you can shoot people's arms and legs off and such, but you did take um, sort of body damage, like your leg would uh, get uh, injured so you'd limp around, your walking speed would reduce gra uh, greatly, and uh, you have to kneel down behind uh, cover you know, so you don't get shot in the fucking head, and heal yourself, and that would take a, an amount of time, and you had very limited ammo, and you, and you had, um, you know, weapons that weren't in the original uh, uh, Quake, too, uh, like um, uh, sniper rifles and shit. Um, and we, we played an awful lot of that, and I remember distinctly this one map, which was just this huge canyon between two um, outposts, I suppose, out, outcroppings with outposts on them, and there's this huge uh, tether line in the middle, and really, this is like memory going back uh, several drinks ago, uh, and many decades ago, uh, but, you know, this level was just, first of all, it was huge for a quake, um, for a quake level, and uh, second of all, it was just phenomenal in multiplayer, especially if you were more than two people, because uh, um, with, uh, with Action Quake, with, the, with those kind of games, it was really, I've always enjoyed, you know, a big fray more than I've enjoyed head-to-head, -head because then I can sort of count on the other guys to screw up, and then subtly increase my score, like, have one guy almost take out another guy, and then I swoop in with a fucking rocket launcher, and boom, everyone goes to pieces, two frags for me, haha. One-on-one, I am decidedly more useless. Anyway, um, yeah, the Action Quake level was so much fun. Um, well, that's pretty much it for Action Quake. That's all I can remember. You guys, look it up. It's it's a fantastic mod and it's still very funny, and I do believe there was Action Quake for Quake 1. In fact, I'm 99.9% .9 sure of it. Uh, I don't think that's the one we played, though, because I distinctly remember us playing... Um, uh, Action Quake in SVGA resolutions back when our computers back, back when our uh, back when it was so uh, impressive that our computers could actually do that. Um, actually, I'm not quite sure that we were playing. Never mind. This train of thought is going nowhere. I'm just going to briefly talk about another mod that we used to play, uh, which was for Quake Three. Um, again, didn't get into too much modding. 
with uh, Quake 3, but we did, uh, when I went to the school that had a 24-7 uh, computer lab that we could lock ourselves into and get blitzed and uh, fall asleep on the couch uh, with all these computers set up and uh, no security on the computers, so of course we installed Quake on them and we also installed Counter-Strike, but let's not talk too much about that. Um, we um, installed Quake 3 on them and uh, we found this mod that introduced a grappling hook. Basically the same game. Uh, a couple of user-made levels, I think, but it included a grappling hook. And that thing was so much fun. It completely altered the game dynamic in so many ways. First of all, you weren't reliant on these fucking jump pads anymore. Um, and uh, second of all, I mean, you could, while you were dangling from this grappling hook, because uh, you had buttons to, uh, uh, you know, shoot the grappling hook, and then you had another button to sort of make it retract. And you could make it retract halfway and sort of dangle over the map and just pick guys off uh, down on the floor and completely change the dynamic of that game. That was so much fun. I uh, can't remember the name of it, of course, um, but uh, if anyone finds... Uh, grappling hook mod for Quake 3. I'm pretty sure it's the one we played with. Or not. Who cares? Anyway, um, just going on a memory rant here. So, uh, uh, you guys have talked about so many topics that I wanted to uh, uh, call in and ask about, and uh, that was uh, that was actually a phone ago. I got a new Android phone. Um, Brian will be uh, disheartened, probably, to find out that I went with uh, the LG G4, and not a Nexus, and uh, uh, contrary to him, I actually quite enjoy LG technology. Not too keen on their, uh, you know, skin for the Android and such. I rooted my old phone, but, uh, and installed Cyanogen mod on it, and that completely fucking broke. Uh, most of the apps that I found very useful, Vine stopped working, Instagram wouldn't record videos, and uh, Snapchat would crash, and weird opportune moments, inopportune moments, sorry. Yeah, an opportune moment. Hey, phone, please crash. Please crash. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, um, uh, but this uh, new LG uh, G4 phone, I, I quite like it. I, I've only had it for uh, a couple of weeks or so, maybe oh, maybe even only one week. Shit, um, I quite like it. It's it's fast. I mean, my old phone was an Optimus G, which sounds like a transformer, but isn't. Um, and that thing was getting on in age. It was about you know, I don't know three plus years old. So um, yeah kind of glad I switched on that one. Um, and it, was, it was getting kind of demented. It would slow down. I had to reboot it several times a day just to get it back up to speed. It was, it was getting kind of senile. So with this new uh, phone, I mean, it probably, I mean, I've, I've read reviews. It, it seems like a very nice phone. Uh, but it, there are probably people out there who'll say, why didn't you spring for the fucking Nexus? Why didn't you this and that? And, well, I'm going to stick to Android first of all. And second of all, I quite like LG because our uh, TV, our smart TV, is an LG, so there's a connection there. I could, if I wanted to, ostensibly load up a uh, YouTube video on my phone and then just shoot it across the room up to my TV. And I say ostensibly as in in theory, because if I do that, then the uh, TV's um, built-in YouTube app will take over and try to play the video. And uh, that thing will get to about 30 seconds into the video, then start buffering for eternity. So screw that. Uh, no one watches YouTube on their TV anyway, unless they, uh, you know, put a laptop in with the HDMI cable. Anyway, I think I've gone on long enough for the birds to sleep. Bianca, anyone? Uh, buddies, hey, anyone? No. Okay, so uh, I'm just going to end this rambling voicemail here. Thank you so much for having me on your show with uh, Darth. Hello, Darth. I love you. Fate of Atlantis is still a good game, so fuck you too. And um, yeah, that's about it for me. Keep on blocking. Whoa, wait, that's the wrong show. <laughs> that was Joe's show. Uh, I mean, keep on squaring. Is that a thing? Keep on square dancing? Keep on squarifying? Squared? Fuck it. I'm just going to hang up now. Um, yeah, have a good one. See you.
<laughs> Thanks, trolls. Oh, keep, it's keep over. Keep on blocking. Screw you, pal. Who do you think we are? <laughs> oh, it's over. Uh, well, uh, sorry, I spaced out there after I wrote. That. Oh, you're not the only one. It was um, no, not that, not that I did. I enjoyed that call very much, and I've been taking some notes, so I make I, I can be sure to talk about all the points. But the birds were wide awake until about two thirds of the way in, and then he started talking about his LG phone. And <laughs> now then they're all both three of, fast asleep with their heads tucked between their wingies. All three of them had their heads tucked aside on their pillowy little bellies. <laughs> so thank you very much on behalf of our birds trolls for the uh, catching some Z's. <laughs> Um, I've just been scoping out this LG G4. Boy, this is a pretty sweet phone. It has a fast CPU. It has a fast GPU. It has 32 gigs of storage. It has a 2560 by 1440 uh, screen. That There's is two sweet. terabyte micro SD cards now. Shit, that's huge. Yeah, that is huge. Yeah, it supports a two terabyte micro SD card. That's crazy. And it has a removable battery. So for a lot of those reasons, it's better than the... Nexus phone. Really, for the only reason I'd recommend a Nexus phone to someone is if you Ooh, don't... Snapdragon. That's a good CPU. Well, that's the that's the company that makes them, I think. Or no, that's Qualcomm that makes them. Anyway, um, the only reason I'd recommend a, a Nexus is if you want to hack around with your phone or if you don't want to have the annoying skinned version of the uh, home screen launcher that you'll get from LG or Samsung or HTC or Huawei or any of those companies. But uh, the specs are sure nice on this phone. It looks like a nice one. Enjoy your phone, man. Mm -hmm. Um, so what do we talk about? This has been a long, a long, a long call. Um, oh, right. You mentioned, uh, networking games. You said AJ45. I believe the, uh, the, uh, plug you were thinking about is RJ45. RJ45 is an ethernet plug, which uses, um, a cable with tw a twisted pair of, no, it's not a twisted pair. Sorry. That's RJ11. RJ45, it has... How many wires were in an Ethernet cable? Ten? Eight? It was either... I think it was eight. Oh. I don't remember And now. I hated putting those things together with the clamps. You couldn't... Oh, and the crimper? Yeah, that was oh, difficult, wasn't you it? You couldn't get it right. It was the most infuriating task ever. It was kind of. And you had to line up the colors and all that stuff. Um, it was like something from a really bad adventure game. That's right. And it was like the one... And it was from... Yeah, it was. It was like one of your stupid... Uh, <laughs> what was the game that Francisco laughed at us for playing? <laughs> um, crapless crap or something I don't know it was the one that you mentioned the one with your Sinister City yeah there you go crapless or crappy <laughs> it looked like it, it was like one of the puzzles in that game mm -hmm. anyway um, did people usually use the IPX protocol with Ethernet cables I thought they used uh, coaxial cables for IPX but maybe I'm Maybe those things are independent of each other. Yeah, I think they're independent of each other. Maybe. I, all I know is whenever I use the IPX SPX protocol, it was with uh, BNC connectors instead of RJ45 and with coaxial cables instead of uh, the, the attenuated or the uh, shielded wired mm. Ethernet cables. And you had to put on the terminators on the T connectors and stuff like that. Um, he also mentions oh, a grappling hook. I didn't really play Quake 2. I don't know if you... Did he mention the grappling hook in Great Quake 2 or Quake 3? I can't really imagine grappling hooks in Quake 3 because the levels were all pretty tight, although there were jumping pads, so maybe he's remembering right. But I, I played a lot of Quake 3, and I never was aware of that. One, I did use, speaking of modding, I did find a lot of um, player skins that you could apply to yourself in that game, and whenever you joined a server, you would download the skins of the other people, and sometimes the skins would have audio files with them, the fratons and deaths and stuff like that. So my favorite one was Bender. I was Bender running around with a rocket launcher with, with Bender, Bender Rodriguez's uh, voice. 
Files playing. But uh, I never played Fight Quake 2. shiny metal ass. I don't know if he said that one. He might have. I can't remember now, but it was awesome. He had a great laugh for a first-person shooter as well. That was probably the last multiplayer shooter I ever played. Um, I never really played Quake 2 because I found it so ugly. I just did not get interested in that game whatsoever for whatever reason. But I had a very good friend, Mike. I've talked to him about him on the podcast before, my old mod tracking buddy, Mike. He uh, was an avid Quake 2 player, and I didn't know whether it was built into the game or if it was a mod. But he played multiplayer uh, PvP stuff with a grappling hook, and he was really good with the grappling hook. It was fun watching him kind of Spider-Man across the ceiling in first person. That was really, really neat. Um, oh, and finally, all I want to say, in addition to thank you so much for your voicemail, Trolls, and it's always a delight to hear from you, um, but by all means, never hesitate to call in about old topics that we talked about a long time ago, and never hesitate to skip an episode of this stupidly long show. Mm-hmm. Do what you got to do. Stay with us. We love your participation. We love that you listen to us, uh, Trolls and everyone. Yep. And we always love to hear letters and get voicemails about any topic, whether mm-hmm. it's something that we're talking about this week, something we talked about previously, or something that uh, you just want to recall and uh, share with the rest of us about your yeah. nostalgic memories. Hey, it might even trigger uh, a topic for a full show, so you never know. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you ever want to recommend a show topic or if you want to come and join us or if you just want to hear us talk about a topic, then uh, let us know. Mm-hmm. Okay, back to our topic. How are we for time? Holy smokes, two hours. So, I wanted to start off this anyway by talking about um, my very first, I think this was my first experience with modding. It was one of two things. It was either Hardball 3, which had an announcer of, uh, Al Michaels was his name, it had like a voiced announcer and his voice was in a bunch of WAV files and I replaced the WAV files with my own voice by opening the WAV files in a, a WAV editor for DOS. It was a Sound Blaster application. It was a command line application, as I recall. You could just record your voice and then rename the file to whatever the file name was in the game. And then it would be my voice as the announcer, which was really scary and prepubescent and squeaky. If that wasn't my first mining experience, or maybe Ultima Underworld, where I replaced, I would just scramble the voice files that were in there, or I would take one voice file of some of a woman screaming and then copy that file and then replace, like rename it to the names of the other files so that everyone was just screaming. It's very stupid. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why would you want to just have your game full of women screaming? You want want to be fucking psycho? It was just the intro that was voiced. There were no other voices in the rest of the game. Uh, See, basically turning the whole intro into Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Sort of. It's all like the the, the climax of Psycho, too. Except that I forgot one of the voice files. So the intro was like, ah, ah, ah. I see. Okay, that makes it funnier. That did make it funnier, actually. Like, we were, like, pissing ourselves when we when we saw that. It was ridiculous. <laughs> that actually makes it funnier than having it be all screen. It kind of was. So if neither of those were my first modding experience, then my first experience would have been Civilization 1. Uh, I read... I don't know if this was on a BBS or in a magazine or something. It might have been in a magazine that I read that you could change... I don't remember if you needed a hex editor or just a text editor. It might have been a hexadecimal hex editor. Um, You um, could open one of the files, and uh, you couldn't delete any of the lines because it was like one line of text per line of code. But you could replace that text with other stuff. And so somebody had adapted um, the the intro to Civilization 1. It has an awesome introduction. It's kind of similar in Civ 4, if I'm remembering right, where it tells you like about how the Earth, there, first there's space, and then space kind of globbed together into planets, and then the planets 
had all these uh, uh, tectonic uh, movements, which uh, moved it into continents, and then there was life on the planet, and then civilizations from the life, and now it's your turn. That was a very stupid uh, summary, but it was an amazing introduction, as a matter of fact. Um, there was a way with a hex editor, I'm pretty sure, to replace the lines of text to uh, with whatever text you wanted to add to. Oh, okay. So what kind of dual crap uh, did you pollute this otherwise glorious introduction with? I'm pretty sure I must have had the boobs and butts version at some point, but the one that I remember is... Someone had adapted the opening couple of paragraphs from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy about the origins of humanity and basically... Oh, did I... Oh, good for me. I actually put a thing in here. Here's, here's I think, the very first paragraph from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And more or less, this was the intro to civilization, which worked very well. It so does, actually. Did you read it, too? So, yeah, just picture, like, like fucking galaxies and, and, and planets and shit while I read this this inspiring BS. <laughs> <laughs> far out in the unchartered... Far out in the uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small, unregarded yellow sun. Orbiting this at a distance of roughly 92 million miles is an utterly insignificant little blue-green planet whose ape-descended ape life forms are so amazingly primitive that they still think digital watches are a pretty neat idea. So that was, I think it, it was only like two or three more lines more than that, but it kind of broke it up sentence by sentence or phrase by phrase while you watch the universe forming into planets and solar systems and becoming cohesive. So that was a fun mod. And that really opened my eyes to the possibilities of modifying games. I always figured games were like a book. They were this, like, monolithic, untouchable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it looks like Doom was already covered in a couple of letters. Oh, yeah, I started saying a couple of words about Pac-Man Doom, which I don't remember if it was a full con total conversion or if it just changed some of the enemies into the Pac-Man ghosts and stuff. I just don't remember if you walked around eating pellets instead or if it was a regular game, but you waka, shot at ghosts. Beep. Um, uh, what order should we do this in? We have several games here, but it's not going to take us too long to get through this. Mm -hmm. what, what should we talk about first, babe? Oh, I see no problem with going in order. Okay. Actually, let's do this one last, okay? Okay. All right, uh, I'm going to turn on the lamp. Why don't you guys start with something? Okay. I'll just start with this one since it's a really simple one. In the same theme as uh, using a hex editor, well, we was, okay, let me start over. <laughs> Gazillionaire. Um, not really much that we did with this one, but when we did use a hex editor, we changed all the names of the, of the commodities and products that you could, you, you could buy and trade to be uh, either, to be uh, either narcotics or some sort of sex toy. That was pretty fun. <laughs> Do you want to tell people what Gazillionaire is? Um, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before, but for those of you who uh, missed it, or if we hadn't actually talked about it, Gazillionaire is by Lava Mind. You're essentially a space trader, and you're in competition with either other players and or the AI to be the first one to get your company to be worth a million dollars. Yeah, that's right. It's basically like a business tycoon game, but it's in space and very silly for no particular reason. It's yes, awesome. Yes, you have your first, you uh, procure a spaceship, and uh, you get a loan from the biggest, uh, from the uh, big mafia dude who you have to pay back. Oh, yeah, Zin. Mm -hmm. The loan shark. Right. I, know I remember she, modifying I that one. What did we modify it with? Do you remember anything? It was about a text, it? it was a hex editor. And, ah. Yeah. 
questionable. And that was like the old Windows 3.1 version that we modified. Wasn't yeah. It? And it had good music yeah. and really keep cool sound effects. Yes, it did. I don't think we ever modified those. Just we never text. modified those, just the text, because there was no need to. I think we also changed the names of the planets. Mm. We did names of the planets and we did names of the products. It must be. <laughs> you just reminded me, by the way, of another experience I had. In high school, we had some computer labs. Most of the computer labs used the QNX Unix variant operating system with just some educational stuff. But we had, I think, just one Windows lab. And so people would love to play Solitaire on uh, Windows in the Windows lab. So one thing we would like to do is use our hex editor to change the names of the players. We would either change them to the names of teachers in the school or change them to like like booby booby McButtface and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, how delightfully infantile! Very. He says as he rubs his freaking hairy legs on my hand. Uh huh. Uh, stop that. <laughs> what else we got? Mm. Grand Theft Auto. It's, um, the only one I recognize on this list is uh, the hot copy mod. Oh, you know what? Sorry. Let me. Okay, yeah. Let's talk about this now. This is a big one. Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us about the hot coffee mod? For those of you who aren't familiar with the hot coffee mod, essentially, it if you had it kicked, it was not really so much a mod as it was somebody having found the hidden uh, code in the game and uh, found a way to uh, bring it to the uh, forefront. So it would be triggered when you uh, when you took the uh, your date up on her offer to go in for a drink. Hence hot coffee. Like she would ask you to come in for a drink. Hence hot coffee. Come in for coffee, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so what, what was previously left to your imagination now became interactive. <laughs> yes. And Well described. That's all you need to know. I'm sure, I'm, uh, sure that uh, seeing as how most of our... Most of our listeners are probably male. They know exactly what this is, where this is leading. I guess so. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. So, um, and I know, and I uh, remember watching you play it and just being mesmerized by this horrible thing. Yes, I wasn't expecting. Was, well, that. I only watched it once because it was pretty stupid and stilted and like low polygon <laughs> awkwardness. Oh, it was so awkward. But it was like vo the Rockstar were super huge jerks about this. They. Um, if you want a lot of information about this uh, whole debacle, by the way, I recommend the book Jacked by David Kushner, who is who writes about the origins of uh, Rockstar Games and their origins as uh, DMA design. But he also talks about um, Jack Thompson and Captain Kangaroo and the other prudish people who fuck off, the other prudish people who tried to uh, censor and suppress games and cause all these gigantic overreactions in the game industry and mm -hmm. caused the uh, Entertainment Software Ratings Board, the ESRB, to yeah. uh, start their their um, their independent ratings organization, which uh, stands to this very day. Yeah. Which interesting is the stupid uh, copy mod, hot copy mod, would not have even gained a fraction of its publicity and uh, popularity had it not been for these uh, prudish individuals and their. Uh, for moral outrage. That's right. I read a very good article um, recently called Hot Coffee's Effects on the Mod Scene, which is written by uh, Brenda Brathwaite, who is now uh, Brenda Romero. We mentioned her in uh, last week's uh, podcast, too. She did the uh, Jiro Dreams of Game Design oh, in yes, TDC. Yes. She's a very smart lady. Uh, and she's written a lot about sex in games as well, but she's also an extremely accomplished, very old school 
game designer herself. She goes back to, I think, the early 80s, if not the mid-80s. She's a really cool lady. Cool. Um, so this is an article she posted on Gamma Sutra. It's from 2006, and she talks a little bit about It's like an interview. It's a summary of the hot coffee mod situation. It's also an interview with the people who are responsible for unlocking it and releasing it. And so just as you said, they said that there were like 2,000 or something downloads of the hot coffee mod ever. And then the prudes started complaining about it, and it made the national news. And all of a sudden, they had millions of people downloading it, and they used something like 25 terabytes of data um, on their web servers all of a sudden. <laughs> Do you wave that bird? Okay, there we go. Why stupid chirpers? Um, so uh, Rockstar, as uh, described in uh, David Kushner's book, Jacked, Rockstar were huge assholes about this. The first thing they did was disclaim any responsibility. Ownership, even though it was based an Easter egg that was embedded in their own coding. That's right. Well, they first their public message was, modders have gone to great lengths to modify the game code in order to add this content to our game. And anyone who had seen this mod in action knew that they, they were... <laughs> they knew that they were... Um, Maybe we should play Troll's voice email again. I'll put them back to sleep. Yeah, I think we should. Jeez. That'll be our lullaby. <laughs> More so. So, uh, what was I saying? That uh, they were basic. That they had denied. All, oh yeah. They were they were denying any responsibility on their part. That's right. That it was the That it was the action of unaffiliated individuals. That's right. Even though it was very clear, like that the voice actors themselves recorded dialogue specifically for these scenes. So clearly, Rockstar was lying about this, like lying through their teeth, mm-hmm. being real assholes about it. So. Uh, they were disproven almost immediately when it was revealed that the original code for the Hot Coffee Mod content was actually pulled off of the PlayStation 2 discs, which, of course, are read-only CD-ROMs. CD-ROMs? DVD-ROMs. They were ROMs. Yeah. Which is interesting, since you you wouldn't picture code being accessible. I would have thought it would have been more accessible through a computer. Well, they did it through a computer, but it was the the PlayStation 2 version Mm. that they pulled it off of. Okay. With certain tools that you can... uh, you can have it uh, recognize the file system from uh, different mm-hmm. consoles. Interesting. Sometimes you need a specific brand of CD-ROM drive for that to work. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I uh, did with um, Dreamcast games. To rip Dreamcast games, you needed, I think, certain brands of CD-ROM drives or DVD-ROM drives and an application called Disk Juggler. Anyway, um, so Rockstar was almost immediately ordered to they they were they were made culpable because they were the ones who created the content they're the ones who effectively distributed it to the world and so rockstar made the difficult decision to pull all copies of grand theft auto san andreas off every shelf in the world and then really re-released a second edition which removed all of that content and subsequently removed pretty much all of the modding uh support that they didn't even really mean to put in the first place but they closed a bunch of loopholes so then there's a really, really active um, modding scene of people that were very enthusiastic and creative, and they loved this game, and they loved Rockstar for enabling modding in the first place, and they loved what they did, creating these new hilarious situations in these games that they loved anyway. <laughs> and then when Rockstar uh, resold the game without any modding support at all, because the politicians said, oh, modding is terrible. And modding is to blame. The people who are modders are all sick, depraved individuals who want to harm your children. Uh, of course. The uh, Think of the 
children trump card. That's uh, all every the politician has in his or her deck. Oh, yeah, that's all the Jack. Probably the most uh, overplayed card ever besides the race card. Of course. That's all that Jack Thompson ever did, as long as he was a lawyer, which was not too long because he got disbarred and became a priest. So it goes to show how impartial he was. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. So then the modders were very, uh, they were really pissed at Rockstar for closing the loopholes that allowed mods to be possible, and they were even more resentful of Rockstar because so many people were still buying their games, especially to buy the mods. So they felt, the modding scene felt like they were selling the game to people, but they didn't get any recognition and people couldn't even enjoy the things that they had labored so hard on. So that was a really interesting take that I never considered, and thanks to Brenda Brathwaite at the time, Brenda Romero, for uh, bringing that understanding to me. It's a great article, and I put the link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one of the most famous mods, other than Hot Coffee, for San Andreas was called SAMP, which added multiplayer to San Andreas. That game was not an online game. This game turned it into a co-op game, and it was only for the PC version, and only for the first edition, and only if you were patched up to a certain level. So I believe people created utilities which could change your second edition and downgrade it to the first edition, and you had to forego some bug fixes and patches and stuff, but it meant that you could play mods on it at the end. But most people most people didn't have the wherewithal mm-hmm. or the technical know-how to do all that stuff, but there were people that made it possible. So um, I guess this is probably what's gave Rockstar the idea to add multiplayer features to their future games in general, because they just made single-player games for the most part, or for the, exclusively in this series. It was their single-player baby. Um, so uh, San Andreas multiplayer is still a thing nowadays. I think it's still an active development. It adds, like, you can you can play together in the same area. I don't think there's any story, but um, it's just like a big sandbox where you can smash around and shoot stuff. story when you have multiplayer and you can blow each other up with uh, RPGs. Yeah, that's right. It added like chat servers and stuff and uh, it, it's a really impressive mod. I'll, uh, I'll put a, a link to that too. I've never bothered to get it working because I didn't really care but mm-hmm. you got to respect the people that turn a single player game into a multiplayer game. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. What else? Oh, um, Grand Theft Auto V has been very ambiguous about whether mods are allowed. Like GTA 4 had, I don't know if what the, the state of mod support was officially, but it has a huge mod community, and there's a lot of really cool mods for GTA 4. Oh, do you have any uh, examples? I, I, I never I, used any of them, because I personally like GTA for what it is. I think that their designers are incredibly talented, mm-hmm. and I don't want to screw with that. But there are people that made like more effects or bigger explosions, or uh, they change the shaders, or they're like, oh, this is the super realistic graphics mode, where they replace some oh, of the Oh, and the super ragdoll mode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what it's called now, but there's one mode in GTA 4, one mod, that um, turns off almost all the friction. So, like, hitting your brakes in a car does nothing. So all you do is you just go for a walk, and there are cars flying and skidding all over the place at top speed, and, like, smashing into something and exploding. The, the game works exactly as it would otherwise, except that the cars have absolutely no friction. Zero grab. And it's terrifying. It's like this horrible <laughs> nuclear car apocalypse where walking down the street is, like, the most dangerous thing you could imagine. And if something hits you, you have no no uh, friction either, so you'll really go flying. Ah, it's awesome to be Total behold. ragdoll physics. Let me see if I can... Uh, in a GTA for... Uh, no friction mode. I'll put that in the show notes. There are some really hilarious YouTube videos of this, and it's like it's just really uproariously funny to see. 
I can't really think of a lot more for her. Like, people added new cars and new weapons and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but I didn't really care about yeah, mods. Yeah, so that would be more like skinning mods. That's right. I never modded my GTA games because mm-hmm. I love them for what they are. Um, GTA Five has been interesting because the first thing people asked was, can we play with mods in GTA Five?" And GTA Five was a little bit different. Am I remembering this right? No, GTA Four actually also required this Rockstar Social Club, which was a an online service you had to stay connected to, a DRM and a social network thing in order to play their games. Mm-hmm. Number five, I think, was even more tightly ingrained with the uh, Rockstar Social Club. And uh, trying to remember this right. Well, um, in GTA 4, right, GTA 4, the multiplayer was only private servers or people hosting their own sessions. So people, Rockstar didn't care if people cheated. But in GTA 5, they have servers and they have like a their own... Um, authoritative worlds and their own like cumulative worlds where you earn this is the real reason of course you um, mm. earn or can purchase for real money these like rock star dollars whatever they call them uh, you can you can buy them with your actual money so it didn't matter if you cheated in GTA 4 with private servers but they don't want anyone cheating in GTA 5 to, to hack it so that you get unlimited money because then they can't sell their money cards to people that makes sense I can understand it from that point of view if you uh, do have uh if you're trying to control a currency and you don't want uh, people to have access to something they didn't legitimately pay for when someone else did. I guess so. For If, it, if it's a fair playing field like that, then yes, I understand. But I have to lament their decision to make a game where you have to either grind something for a long time to make the money or you can pay them real money to earn it faster. That's really annoying. I hate that. That's well, like the mobile games mm-hmm. school of design. Too bad they didn't make it so that if to allow private sessions, so people who wanted to mod or do something like that could play in private sessions, or but would not have access to the public sessions if they did that. Okay, well, I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm getting to that because okay. that's exactly what people tried to do. Um, so because the multiplayer and the single player were so tightly ingrained, um, the official word was that Rockstar does not support any mods whatsoever, even in single-player mode, because they couldn't guarantee that people using mods in single-player wouldn't use them in multiplayer. So they did like a checksum, kind of a hash check thing to make sure that your game files weren't modified before letting you connect online at all. And of course, if you because it's um, so tightly ingrained with the Rockstar Social Club DRM thing, if you get yourself banned from online, I believe that means that you're also banned from single-player. That's just such bullshit. That's really something. Mm-hmm. That's really something. So people started making mods, and the whole community was asking, am I going to get banned? Am I going to lose my $60 game if I install these mods? I want mods. The only thing I I do in these games is use mods and cheat and smash around. I don't care about the game. I want to make my own fun, which I mean, fine. I personally, I don't like modding their games at all because I think their games are fun. And that's your opinion, as you're entitled to, just as they want to do this with their game. Exactly. Immersive gaming. Exactly. Or you're thinking of, like, uh, emergent gaming. Emergent, right? yes. That's what I was trying to think of. Words are so similar. Half the time I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, but you're right. Emergent gaming. People should have the freedom to enjoy the game however they wish. Yes. And, and it's limited. Mm-hmm. It's limited by their, their DRM authentication thing in the name of preserving the game being fun for, for legitimate, non-cheating multiplayer players. Which I think that they could do as a checksum when you enter multiplayer on a public server and then still allow private and single servers to have these mods. You'd think. Mm-hmm. It would make sense. I guess it would. It's because the single player and multiplayer, they use the same executable and stuff. In um, Call of Duty, for example, 
there you'll I don't know if they still do it, but it used to be that you would get the Call of Duty single player and a Call of Duty multiplayer. Two different items would appear in your Steam list. Yes, you, you still get that. I know I did with uh, mm. COD Bops Three. Okay, right. So that's how they separated out. And I mean, there were similar. There are. This is a, a long going, uh, a, a long standing objection. You remember in um, World of Warcraft, for example, there will be a skill that everybody in single player or everybody in the PVE environment enjoys and exploits and has a good time with. But if you do it in PvP, everybody cries because it makes an unfair advantage for one kind of playstyle. Yes. So they they, they nerf it. For everybody, instead of going the arena that way, which in Guild Wars, That's right. created two specific skill sets. And where one skill was overpowered, they created the PvP version, which I noticed, because sometimes if you went into a PvP arena, you had a chance to you know, look at your skills, see what you had, and save your different builds. And so you would have your PvE build, and then you could, and in the same skill in PvP would actually say, you know, it would have named the skill and it would be the PvP version. It would differentiate. Yeah, that two descriptions. Mm-hmm. One for, like, one for cooperative and one for competitive. Which is a really elegant way to do it. It's just like, it means that the company has to do twice as much work to maintain it. But I, I admire them so much for doing the double amount of work to make sure that it remains fun for everybody. Yeah, but the thing is, they didn't do it for every single skill, just the really, only the skills that were really overpowered. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess they, they did it for... For either main, mostly for maintained and AOE skills. I don't really remember the context, but mm-hmm. uh, I appreciated that a lot. Where if something was being abused in PvP, it wouldn't ruin the fun of the people playing that way in PvE. Yeah. So anyway, you can't do that in Grand Theft Auto Five. There's still to this day the official word is that mods are not supported, and if you read the very letter of the end-user license agreement, you will get your game banned if you install any mods, even if you never log on to the online game, because you have to still log on to be online to play the single player in the first place. Mm-hmm. So that kind of sucks, because people love their mods. And I've seen some really funny mods for GTA Five as well. People, like, modded in. They changed the blimp to the Planet Express ship, for example. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's cool. And that doesn't even destroy, that doesn't even wreck the gameplay for anybody. No, well, I mean, it changes the it changes the geometry of the object, so maybe you could do an exploit or something like that in PvP. Maybe you can block something that you couldn't otherwise. They want you to play by their rules in multiplayer, and I mean, that's fine. Yeah, multiplayer, yeah, but for single player, that's fun. Yeah, single player, that is fun. So I hope they change their mind for the next one, but Grand Theft Auto is a money-printing machine, and they'll just do the least amount possible to make the most money possible. So they don't really care about the community in that that's sense. So that's kind of too bad. But yes, it is. Rockstar has been inadvertently the friend of modders, but directly they have been the opponent to modders, and that's a real shame. Is that all I have to say about GTA? I feel like there's more, but whatever. Uh, what's next? I guess we can just go into Sims since we've never ta- we haven't talked about that in a while. Yeah, let's talk about the Sims. Mm-hmm. So, as most people who play the Sims know, when your little dude gets naked, you get. Yay, pixels! Hey, I don't have I don't have uh, boobs and a badge under my clothes. I have pixels. <laughs> yes. So, one of the biggest and most common mod that's easily accessible and probably the most successful is the No Mosaic mod, which removes the pixel and reveals a very Barbie-like body, a couple of orbs for boobs, and uh, nothing really to the and nothing really in the uh, regions. You got like a parabolic hump in your pants. And- <laughs> Men and women have the same lack of genitals down there. Yeah, basically Barbie and Ken, but Barbie gets some nice hooters. No nipples, though. Oh, and before we get too far from the conversation about Jack Thompson, he complained about the No Mosaic mod, 
saying that if you remove the pixelized, the pixelized mosaic thing, it reveals nipples and pubic hair and other details. So I don't know if he's a complete liar or if he really went out of his way to install the most depraved shit possible and make claims about it. But EA disproved it very thoroughly. It didn't slow him down or anything, but it made him look like more of an idiot. Yeah, I know that the modi the mods did have uh, skins for men that gave them chest hair. That's all it really did was allow men to have chest and arm hair. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they didn't even do genital hair. They gave you chest hair. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, one of the first mods I ever saw, because Sims 1 had tons of mods. Because Sims 1 had objects that were just 2D sprites, they weren't 3D models, mm -hmm. it was way easier to make mods and to make custom content. It had an incredible mod scene. Yeah. Um, one of the first mods I saw, my ex-girlfriend at the time, I'm not going to say hi to her, like <laughs> I usually do, uh, but whatever. Um, she uh, got a mod that uh, gave all men gigantic erections, and they would just walk around with these permanent... Points. Yeah. <laughs> it's called. <laughs> that, that, that I know, at one point, I mean, did you see this, but I experimented while you were out of the house. I got a mod that... Let <laughs> oh, years terrible. I got a mod that gave all the, the dudes in my game proper genitals. Why didn't you wait till I came home? That's awesome. <laughs> and eh, it was nothing. It was nothing special. I uninstalled it. I kept and uh, I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see that man. <laughs> I know, but most of the uh, stuff that I saw was clothing and furniture, hair. But one of my favorite for The Sims Two. Was a was a mod that corrected nanny and other NPC behavior. Oh right, because the nannies were except for one. Is you, I could almost recognize the nannies by their. Uh, they're like four. They're like five nannies in the entire game. They all wore very similar clothing, but some of them had one of them. A couple of them had different color skirts, and they all had different hairstyles. But they had the same personalities. Didn't they? Most of them had the same personalities. Or like if you saw, there, there were five different types. And if you got nanny number three, it was always the personality of nanny number three, right? Yeah. Some were more diligent than others. Some would ignore your kids and make sandwiches and watch TV. Yep. And so, if you had like six kids, like you always did, you would get like two or three nannies for the price of one. Mm-hmm. Or was it for the price of one or did they just insist on bringing more nannies? Um, it was in Sims 3 that they brought more nannies and more housekeepers. To the... Insisted on farting out too many butt fruit. <laughs> oh, the poor nannies couldn't keep up, but the maids and the maids couldn't eat. But the maids could, and the maids couldn't either. So this mod es essentially made sure that your nannies weren't total neg negligent little uh, fart bags. Were not. Yeah, they made sure that they actually did their job. Mm -hmm. This other and because um, one of the uh, expansion packs for Sims Two was uh, Leisure Time or East Fun Time, something like that. It introduced the ability to throw a baseball or football between each other, and your Sims always wanted to do that. And it made it even worse oh, when you yeah. had the open open for businesses dog. So you tried to run your business, and every, and everyone who came to buy stuff would start playing these stupid games with you outside oh, the yeah. store. And so the mod I got stopped that from happening. It the and it, I forget what it was called, but basically it was don't play with me, no no playing allowed <laughs> or no fun. <laughs> that was such an interesting aspect of the simulation because the Sims are based on. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which basically states that if you have a bodily requirement or an emotional or social requirement of some sort, you'll do it if these other uh, if these other uh, needs are satisfied. But or or you'll yeah you'll you'll do this activity if you have if you have three needs at the same time you'll do this one first and then this one and then that one. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
if you had some like irresistibly fun item in your pocket, you would like obsessively play with it all the time. Oh, I was so obnoxious. It was really funny. It was just fascinating. And it makes you think more about humanity mm-hmm. in that fashion. So that's a really interesting And a lot thing. of the Sims were, had these one-track minds. And they would play and then eventually they would stop and piss on my lawn. Yeah, that's right. Because they didn't give themselves enough time to walk to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Especially if it was one of your friggin' maze houses where it took two hours and 45 minutes to get to the toilet. Oh, I only made one Fleebleheimer in The Sims 2. Uh-huh. There were so many puddles in the hedge maze. <laughs> um, let's see. Sims 3, I really didn't mod too much because there was a pr- they had addressed a number of these uh, NPC issues. But I did use the No Mosaic. Oh, and we should give props, by the way. And... In addition to the no mosaic, what was really good was using the, the was was obnoxious with the stupid loading screen, the EA logo. Fuck, I hate that logo. And the and then the subsequent. Um, oh, the Maxis logo. Yeah, the, the Maxis intro. logo. The yeah, EA they logo, no intro and, hacks. Yeah, and the uh, brief animation before you got to the loading screen. So we got the no intro mod as well, which got rid of that, which is nice. It still took a couple of seconds to start up, but. It meant that we didn't have to sit through an intro and we didn't have to hit spacebar to hit to skip the uh, animated introduction. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I forgot about that. That's probably my favorite mod slash hack in the whole history of modding is the uh, no intro hack where you either have to delete or rename files or replace a video file with like a zero size text file that you've renamed to .avi. Yeah, I had to Save do, so much time. Yeah, I had to do that. In Civilization at one point because... Oh, yeah, my, your intro video was bugged and unskippable. Yeah, it was bugged and unskippable. And running at half the speed. Running at half speed, doing all this incredible crap until I managed to uh, get a, find a way around it. And this was, I believe, Civilization 4 it happened in. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that, uh, that problem in Civ 5 because it's just uh, you load up and you have the static screen for a couple minutes while it figures its shit out. Mm-hmm. Also, before I forget, I said I, I just wanted to give props to Maxis slash EA for including mod tools in their games. Mm -hmm. Even when they started selling custom content, they still supported community modding, which is so cool. So good for them. Yeah, they support community modding, but at the same time, they do remove content that is either... Uh, that has not been downloaded frequently, or they do they do a Mac uh, EA does remove uh, uh, custom content when it hasn't been accessed for a long time, just to clear room on their servers. They do. Oh yeah. But I mean, they had the mo- they had the launcher that allowed you to import Sims two pack files and dot package files. Oh yeah. So that was that, really you can do third party content that you got from any website and add it into your game using tools that were included right in the game launcher. Mm-hmm. So that's a really nice uh, way to embrace the community. And I'm sure that sells them a lot of copies, too. Mm-hmm. So good for them. Yeah, so even if you hated all the hair that came with the game, you you could get all that. You could get all, any sorts, sorts of things. That <laughs> sounded so wrong. The hair that came with the game, there's like a box full of hair. <laughs> you have to take your CD out of it. <laughs> um, Hairstyles, I believe, is what you are referring to. <laughs> <laughs> that was the coolest. Or if your guys don't have big enough schlongs. <laughs> I didn't see that for that. Well, that was only in Sims 1 because it was not easy to add in custom 3D models yeah. as of Sims 2. Yeah, Sims 2 was more difficult, but they did, but they had more seamless uh, additions in Sims 3 with the 3D stuff, particularly with clothes and hair. I, didn't, I don't really remember the furniture, but I do remember some of the... Uh, hacks I did use for uh, Sim 3. One of them was actually, if I had a, because Sim 3 tended to slow down, so I, and I ran them in full, so I had one that would, um, I actually had a mod that allowed me to fix that. Oh, NRAS. NRAS. 
I don't even know what that stands for. Let me look it up. NRAS. Wasn't that it? Yeah. NRAS Master Controller, is that it? No. Mm -hmm. Every sim. Yes, this is it. I don't know what it stands for. Or if it's somebody's name or something. Oh, well. Oh, documentation? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah, that, that was a really interesting one, because if your game... If your game glitched out or something, then you could uh, return... If your sim got stuck in an object or something, you could return all sims back to their home position, which is, like, inside their house with their arms spread or something like that. Or yeah. They had all this neat stuff. It also allowed you to play any of the animations or to kill your sim or mm -hmm. to do all of these, like, hacky things. You would just click on your sim and you would get the radial menu. With some additional... Like, How do we not talk about clicking on your Sims in our UI discussion? I love the UI of the Sims when you click on something and all the the yeah, contextual like you, options appear. Yeah, you had clicking on other Sims and clicking on yourself, which revealed their, your own options. That was so smart. I love that UI. Mm -hmm. And this is not even using the uh, built-in debugger, which allowed you to uh, use all this debugging stuff, which was fun, and hacking around in that way. What was there? I don't remember that. Oh, yeah, you could use a tombstone to spawn people to kill people to kill people in very specific ways. Mm. Oh, how do you think I uh, uh, recreated the uh, Realm of Torment in uh, Sims 3? Oh, I didn't know you did that. I recreated it, but I didn't have as many ghosts, so I was sad, and I, and I didn't, didn't like it, so I never went back. Oh, that's cool. I only used the... I wanted it... I, I would have only used it if I had all my ghosts, but I didn't have ghosts, so I was sad. And that's right. So now that you mention it, uh, with hacks like that, I remember there was a mod that I got where you could get a sword and you could get in a fight with somebody and kill them. And I don't remember this. That's awesome. It was awesome. It was just this big long sword and it, <laughs> it didn't... There were no animations for stabbing in The Sims, so we would just use the regular fist fighting animation. And then you would... All, whoever had the sword would get, like, plus 10 to their fighting. And if the other person beat you, then you just you just cry about it. But if you beat them, then they die. And there was no... Because, like, killing someone was not a part of the game already, so there's no ramification for it. They would just be dead. You wouldn't get in trouble or anything. Mm -hmm. so and then everyone would just stand around sobbing inconsolably. Actually, I think there was a way to kill people originally in the game. You could buy a cow plant... Or there was a way to, like, trick them into going into some sort of a machine where you would, like, suck out their knowledge and stuff, and they would die, and you would gain their knowledge. Yeah. That was cool. Mm hmm But there were no repercussions for it. And Sim and the cow plant reappears in Sims 4, if you have the uh, going-to-work expa uh, expansion. Oh, right, for scientists? Yep. I had a cow plant. I didn't I didn't feed it, and it died, Now it's just this big skeletal plant on my lawn. Oh. Anyway, let's go back to modding. Mm-hmm. Have we installed any mods for Sims 4? No, Is I have Is it even a thing anymore? I think it's mostly just user content because they're, because uh, EA Max is whatever they're calling themselves these days, has been, was quite responsive to a lot of the players' uh, requests. I mean, they didn't include, like, for example, the biggest, the best example is the family tree. They didn't originally have it, and they brought it back without an expansion or an add-on. Yeah, they've been really cool about that. They've been very cool about... Uh, well, they, they were kind of criticized for not having pools and not having toddlers and stuff like that before the game came out. And they've been slowly doing this little trickle of adding features for mm -hmm. free to yeah. people that... Because that, that game requires an online connection too, I think, at least to... Or no, they're really generous about it. Yeah, it requires an online connection mode. to... Up, to you, you authenticate. 
so once you've updated and authenticated, you can go back and offline, which allows you to have a couple of people playing the game at the same time, but only one of you is connected, which is how Brian and I play at the same time. Yeah, that's right. Which I don't think is unreasonable. We buy we buy the game, and then Bianca plays the uh, online version of the game, and I download it, and I I just set Origin to offline, and it lets me play it offline without the online features. Mm-hmm. So I think that's cool. They make their money off of us. There's no way in hell we'd buy two copies of it. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they're losing out because Brian doesn't even play that often and uh, I play plenty. So mm-hmm. I played the other ones more. Sims 4 I don't find as fun as 2 or 3. I think I had more fun with 2. That one, for some reason, was just funnier. Yeah, I was impressed when uh, on Origin they had Sims 2 with all the expansions for free and you played it again many years later for quite a bit and had a good time with it. That game is hard. Yeah, the two is harder, and for some reason, with all its bugs and intricacies, it actually is a little more fun that way. Mm. Not a lot less hand-holding. Oh, so I thought of two more mods for The Sims, by the way, that I enjoyed. One of them was that you could make your own custom careers. Yes, that was pretty fun. And I mean, in Sims 2, at least, having a career means that you have, like, ten different uh, levels of the career that you can get promoted to with different salaries, and they different require... Different skill sets. Different skills in order to qualify and different for... Things, and maybe um, different hours that you have to go to work. That's right. Um, however, when it's time to go to work, you would get in your car, and you would disappear for six hours, and then you would come home tired. And that's what working was. So a mod for different jobs means that you would just write new descriptions for what you were doing all day. Mm-hmm. And that was just fun anyway. I mean... That's that's video games, right? You just have some simple system that you disguise with uh, lore and story, mm-hmm. and explain it away. Oh, and they had, um, I know, I think I didn't, I didn't get it, but I was trying to remember if there was a hack for it. But I know in Sims Two there is a whole story uh, board thing where you could create stories and upload them about your Sims and encourage you to take screenshots and. For create- Sims Two, there was for three. I know. Yeah. Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, Sims 2 and 3 both had it. So oh, okay. Do it. I didn't know 2 did. I didn't think 2 had any online functionality whatsoever. It, it, that was the most online it did. Okay. Well, the other mod that I was thinking of for Sims 3, because in Sims 2, I don't remember what you did when you had to make... Oh, yeah, you can make different kinds of food. But in Sims 3, you could do that as well. And people... Um, added custom kinds of food that you could create. Mm-hmm. So maybe it seems too I'm thinking of. I'm forgetting now. Both of them had think, custom food. Yeah, but I'm thinking the mods that I tried. It must have been Sims 2. So I downloaded all these kinds of food, and people had, like... They were great. They made, like, food from different ethnicities and different countries, or they made, like, uh, boxed brand-name foods that you were able to create. Mm-hmm. And they were really fun. Some of them had custom animations or... I'm going to take a box of crap dinner out of the fridge and cook it. Yeah. <laughs> some of them were just, like, they would reskin something with a new texture. Sometimes they would create a brand-new uh, 3D model. Sometimes they were custom animations for preparing or eating the food. And sometimes they were all glitchy and you would shove a plate of macaroni and cheese into your eyeball socket and stuff. It was great. That was a really fun thing to do. So I added tons and tons of new kinds of foods to make. That was really fun. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Then I think they kind of, it must have been Sims 2 because in Sims 3 they really satisfied you with the huge number of foods you could create. Yeah. And more so in number four. Oh, especially since they added like vegetarian stuff, which really, mm-hmm. which unlocks when you have a vegetarian in the house. That's right. That was one of my custom ones, I think, was falafel that I added. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because they like changed, they like modified some 3D models. So instead of having like a pita with a bunch of falafels in it, there's like this one human head size falafel on a plate and you would like cut it daintily with a fork and knife. It was really funny. <laughs> that was cool. Is that everything for Sims? I think so. Mostly, yeah, it was mostly 
There's mostly character models. Oh, and of course, there's like you could mod in. Um, you you people made movie stars and stuff. Yeah. So you could have like John Luke Picard kissing Hitler and stuff. <laughs> oh no! What was it? Oh yeah, there was one of Hitler and a centaur. That's something. right, Hitler crying with a centaur is the yes. video that I posted previously. I'll find that and put it again because it's just so funny. Hitler crying with centaur. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there was, uh, you can, and it's pretty easy, and a lot of times, one of the biggest things to do, and it wasn't, I wouldn't even consider modding it, but people just create, unless they created their own clothes to go with it, people would create the characters from popular games and shows, mm-hmm. and upload them. Yeah, I had a Roger Wilco in my Sims. I made my own version of, uh, Rosa Blackwell and Joey. Oh, you did, in number four, didn't you? Yes. That was cool. And I didn't even have to download new content because the clothes were pretty close to what we were, I was aiming to do. The only thing is, I was going, what color is Joey's suit again? Blue, isn't it? I swear he's a ghost. Oh. He, oh, you made him a nut ghost? Yeah, because I didn't, it was just before I played the final one. I was like, do I make him a ghost or not ghost? So I made him a not ghost. You don't see him as a not ghost until the final one, I thought. Yeah, and I was, and it was, and this, I made it before the uh, Let's Go to Work expansion came out, which opened up aliens in blue skin. Ah, I see. Okay, that's because that then if I did it, then I could make uh, with blue skin. I see. All right, what else we got? Uh, we got World of Warcraft because apparently these people haven't heard enough of this from us. All right, let's be merciful with World of Warcraft, shall we? But World of Warcraft has fantastic mod support, and they always have since the very earliest mm-hmm. days. Best support comes from, uh, there's a couple of them, but that, I mean, there's the uh, WoW Forge or whatever it is. The Curse? Curse Forge, Just- and then Curse. Yeah, Curse Forge is for alpha or beta stuff, and then... Uh, What's that, Curse Forge? Yeah. I know Curse Gaming. Yeah, and then Curse itself has, um, okay. has offers the most support. And they even have a client which makes updating your mods and finding new mods quite easy. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. So we talked last week about UIs. So that was that's one of the biggest things that we actually mod in the game is our interface. And if you, and for those of you who follow on Twitter, probably remember me tweeting uh, images of my UI and my bank because I met his. Uh, Brian made fun of me for having a bank full of garbage. Oh, that's right. I put some uh, photos of our, uh, some screenshots of our user interfaces in the show notes for the UI discussion as well. Excellent. So besides uh, the actual UI, and uh, we, we've changed our mini-map bags. Yeah, because the default in in WoW is your bags appear as individual uh, windows. So we got one that converts that into one called the bag non or one bag. Yeah, one bag was the first one where instead of having five different bag uh, areas and put them all into one. Yeah. They're all like little quality of life usability improvements. Yeah, so instead of having to press your several buttons, you just press one and it opens your bags. One really interesting quirk in World of Warcraft modding, this, I don't understand this. There's like a really close relationship between Blizzard and PopCap. I don't understand this. And so PopCap made... A plugin for World of Warcraft that allowed you to play Bejeweled and Peggle mm-hmm. inside of World of Warcraft for free, mm-hmm. which was really weird. And then when they added achievements and stuff, they allowed you to like do uh, custom achievements that didn't really earn you anything legitimately in the game, but it made a little pop-up. There were achievements within the game that you could earn. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had like talent trees and stuff like that, too, like RPG style. So, and like, they brought them back up. for uh, this most recent one. What? Those two, 
game thing, but they actually have an update. The, those have been properly updated. Really? Yes, they were updated as about, I believe, a month or so ago for 6.2. That's fantastic. So they, they had all these features like before you could fly in World of Warcraft, you would have to take uh, flight paths like Griffins or what are the Horde ones called? Um, the bats or whatever? Yeah, bats. Yeah, you would ride on these animals and it would take you maybe six or seven minutes to get from your home base to where you wanted to go. So um, the PopCap mods, uh, it would automatically, as soon as you start traveling somewhere, a game of Peggle would appear, a game of uh, Bejeweled would appear, and you could sit there playing their game and get the highest score possible before you got to their uh, to your uh, destination. Really cool idea. Yeah. And it's, for those of you wondering which version of Bejeweled, it's Bejeweled 2 that they use for that. Oh, that's right. So no Bejeweled 3, which has... Uh, which I think has a lot better uh, animations and uh, gem responsiveness. But since you're already using a ton of resources, they um, it's a good thing they use the uh, the resource the uh, what the uh, version of the game that ha that requires uh, less memory. Oh right. Well, they did it with like the Lua whatever integration with uh, Warcraft. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, several years later, when the Cataclysm expansion came out, they made a a quest chain that was basically plants versus zombies. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what they called it? I don't remember what that chain is called. I don't remember either, but you, but you ultimately get a sunflower mini, mini pet. Yeah, singing sunflower. And it was and voiced it by... It hums. And it's voiced by uh, Laura Shigihara, who made the uh, soundtrack for Plants vs. Zombies. But, like, you don't see yourself. You don't have your character running around. The camera zooms out, and you see this field, and you plant plants into the ground and there are wild monsters that come from the right walking towards the left and you have to scourge. use your yeah. scourge and you have to use your tower defense plants in order to stop them before they get to the end. It was really basically plants versus zombies. So I really don't know where this partnership between PopCap and Blizzard came from, but it's awesome how they did that. It's really funny. So I welcome that. That was a very interesting quirk of modding in World of Warcraft. Mm -hmm. So there are other mods that WoW introduced that help you play the game and to understand the systems. The one that I probably relied on the most is one called Recount. Um, and it's less bloated version, Scatter. Yeah, there were several of them, but it was like those a damage meter. Yeah, damage meters, those are the two most common ones. Scatter, so, yeah, Scatter, for those of you wondering, it's it has a lot less information, but it takes up a lot less memory, and it's good if you're in LFR and you don't want to worry about slow down because you have because uh, there's 25 people all at once doing all these amazing spells and you right. want to continue having your game run at full detail. Well, let's take it back a notch then to tell people what it does. So Recount, Recount um, puts a little window on your screen and it shows bar graphs. And those bar graphs show every member in your party, how much damage are they doing, either this fight or since a certain amount of time or overall. Um, you can click on any of those bar graphs to get more information. So... If you look at yourself, for example, it says you cast these spells these this many times, and on average, this spell is doing the most damage, and then the next one, and then the next one. And uh, you can get more information about individual spells too, can't you? Yeah. If you, if you clicked on the bar that has your name or player's name, you get a pop-up, and then you can click the... Uh the the uh, bar graphics the uh, graph itself to get more information on the individual spells and their frequencies that list uh, how often that that one was used and what the biggest hit is and the average uh, damage. That's right. So it's a ton of information. So like yeah, it's bar graph showing who does how much damage. You click one person and it shows a pie chart showing what skills they're using and which ones cause the most damage. Yeah. So that's an awesome learning tool when you're playing in a big group in a raid or something, and there's another person who is the same class and the same role as you. 
and they're doing a lot better than you, you can look at their statistics and then look at your statistics and see, are they pressing one button more frequently than you? Are they using a skill that you completely forgot about and that's making all the difference? Or is there a modifier to a skill that they're using and that causes one skill to do a lot more damage than yours is? It's a really, really good way to learn yeah, your so class. And and if you're and if everything else lines up, then obviously they have better gear than you. That's right. So as Bianca mentioned, though, because there's all this data, if you're if you're in a raid and there's 25 different players, you have this one add-on that's looking at every single button everyone ever presses and assorting that data, uh, or sorting that data into lists and charts and graphs and uh, things like that. So mm -hmm. it's a lot of overhead. And it can reduce your uh, frame rate by like 20 or 30% or so. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, it does damage, damage per second, healing, healing per second. Yeah, damage taken, the interrupts, amount of... Interrupts, damage taken, interrupts, absorbs, yeah. uh, heals, and uh, interrupts, even accounts how many people have died, how many people have revived, that sort of thing. So I'm sure as you can guess in the angry world of multiplayer gaming, it's also kind of used as like a cite your references sort of a thing. If there's one person bringing down the group, you uh, you can ping the information into chat and say, look at this, everyone's doing more damage than you. What's the matter with you? Or I told everyone to uh, cast their interrupt at this part of the fight so that the boss couldn't cast their humongous spell. I see this person cast 19 interrupts, this person did 8 interrupts, and you did 0. Why aren't you doing your interrupts? Yeah, and some, but most of the time, these are done by people who don't know that some classes have interrupts that don't, aren't valid for that. It makes it obvious who doesn't know what they're doing. And it's a very complicated game, but that doesn't mean that I don't get furious with people for acting like dingbats and not knowing. It's also... Knowing it's also there are 73 uh, buttons. Mm -hmm. It's also for people who uh, want to show how big their e is. That's right. So this it's is very much an ignorance is bliss kind of a mod, because if you install it, it will reveal all these hidden numbers that will make you start to care about the little nuances of your class and will make you a much more effective person, but then you'll be aware of every little shortcoming of everyone else. Which is only which is only good if you understand how those other classes are played. Because I've seen excellent healers get torn down because they rely on a different type of healing than somebody who has constant throughput. I've also, I'm sure you too, but I've been criticized as a healer for not showing up on the damage charts. Oh, I know. That's like, funny. what have you been doing this whole fight? You didn't do any damage at all. You're such a slacker. I'm a healer. Yeah. It's because... And you're wearing your fucking dress with a big red cross plus on it. Like, screw you, buddy. Open your fucking eyes. Yeah, it's, and because there, it's because there was two sub, there's two classes that actually do damage and healing at the same time. And so uh, Bliss has tried to address that. I, it's in my garbage can, I think. Give me that. Recycle this, please. Yes. <laughs> it's funny, though. It's like, you haven't done any damage. Yeah, well, I keep... Well, you kept your ass in the fire, but you're alive. That's right. <laughs> All right, what other mods can we talk about? Um, um, let's see. Well... We talked a lot about UI already, so... Yeah. Although this is... Um, I, I found that this was also a bit of a, a life and improvement was uh, nice combat text or something that gave me scrolling combat text because I wanted to see if I what kind of damage I was doing if I was uh, if I or if I was missing actually I don't even we don't miss anymore never mind that one if I mm. I just wanted to see uh, how frequently something was happening. All right, so we can preface this by saying that in WoW, there's all these system like visual indicators and stuff in place. But mods with mods, you can turn off one little feature and replace it with the customized feature instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was using an AOE and I couldn't see about how many p targets I was hitting. And so the scrolling combat text I got, 
I modified, I edited it so I could see that I was hitting all the enemies and if, and I would know who wasn't standing in my area of effect, which is good because for some, because for some time the in-game scrolling combat text was insufficient. Well, for a long time the game didn't have, so scrolling combat text basically means that if you, if you shoot at a monster, scrolling combat text will put a little damage number above them or if they hit or above you, depending on how you have it configured. Mm -hmm. It just gives some information about some feedback about whether something that you did is successful or if somebody is attacking you, it puts like a number with a negative sign in front of it saying you just lost this amount of health. Mm -hmm. So and it's another indicator that something something is happening and what is happening and why is it happening. If you lose damage, it'll like say the name of the skill that hurt you and the n amount of health that you lost, for mm -hmm. example. Or if you get healed, it'll say the name of the person who's healing you and the amount that they just healed you for. So it used to be that uh, World of Warcraft didn't have that information. People created this mod that added that information to the visual aspect of the game. And now Blizzard took the hint and they said, oh, people care about this. We'll just add it to the game and make it a toggle. So for people that don't like it, they don't have to look at it. But if there are people who say, we like Blizzard's way of, we appreciate that Blizzard did this, that added this feature, but we like to show it in this other way, or we want to add these cool visual effects to it. And so you can disable Blizzard's way of doing it and do use the mod now, which is kind of redundant, but... Uh, Adds new functionality to it. I did it because I wanted to have uh, different. I wanted to to have different uh, fonts. I didn't like the default. Fonts. I was about to say you did it because you wanted to. Add, you wanted to change it to the Star Trek font. So, I have the Star Trek font there. I've got um, Lord of the Rings in my clock. I know you have like and Diablo have and Harry Potter. Potter. And I don't have Diablo anymore. Oh no, you just have the Diablo health orbs. Yep. You used to have Diablo though, and every friggin' letter O had a big plus sign through it. Good <laughs> God. Yeah, I'm emo baby. I'm emo everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else there? Ah, this is okay. So in boss fight, there are a mechanic that have to be observed if you don't want to die, or you want to make sure that you can protect people, or you move where you need to move. These mechanics have to be observed for a successful fight. Yes, you can pretend they don't exist, but you either die in a fire, or you die after having been stomped on. Or you die in some other horrible way. This mod, DBM, or Deadly Boss Mods, mm. feeds back information that's otherwise hidden. And it tells you, oh, this big thing is about to happen. Move out of the fire. Oh, so I'll preface this one too. Think about uh, like a space shoot 'em up kind of a game like uh, Raiden, for example. Those games are kind of defined by their boss battles. Or, or think about like... Um, a beat-em-up game like Final Fight or something like that as well. These games have these boss battles where the boss will kind of do a pattern. First it will do a few punches and then it will do this one super move. And you have to make sure that you're standing outside of the area of effect where the super move will, hit, will kill you. Then it'll punch you a couple more times and then it'll do this other super move. And it's basically a pattern where it'll do something in order. So World of Warcraft bosses in the raids and in the dungeons are similar, where you kind of have to learn the mechanics of what a boss does. And they'll, like, say a quote or something. I'm going to get you. And then they, like, warm up for three seconds and then they cast the spell. And then they do the super punch and it affects everything in the in a semicircle in front of them for three yards. Or it uh, hits this one person in particular. Or they target one person and start to chase them. So Deadly Boss Mods uh, takes out some of that ambiguity. Instead of you having to try and fail and try and fail until you understand what's going on. And when there's 25 raiders all trying to beat the same boss, as you can imagine, it takes a while for 25 people to learn the hard way exactly what something means. So deadly boss mods will say, 
in 10 seconds, the boss is going to do this. And there will be a countdown timer with a little progress bar. And then uh, it will even start to count down uh, audibly, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And then the boss does the thing, and you're prepared for it. And it just kind of helps your success. Yeah, and it... And if you know how, and if you know what to look for and to anticipate it, you also avoid the uh, deadly sin of tunneling, which is uh, you just get into your street. You just get into this mentality of I'm going to stand here and I'm just going to focus on this boss. The red haze. Yeah. <laughs> when you uh, when all else fades from the world and all you want to do is punch stuff. Mm-hmm. So this kind of brings you back to reality to know that you have to play defensively and strategically. So it kind of sounds. Through the description, like it's basically giving you a checklist of press this button, then press, then walk to the left, and then press that button. It still takes a lot of talent and skill to survive a boss battle and to succeed, even while you're getting these hints. But these hints just kind of uh, make it a little bit easier and give you better awareness of what's happening. Yeah, and they give you a chance to respond if you've been tu- if you have t- if you've been engaged in tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. Now, ooh. Last one on our list is Wild Glider, botting and hacking. Oh, yeah. Are you aware of this? You ever heard of Wild Glider? No, I haven't heard of Wild Glider, but I've heard of the other two things happening. What's, uh, what's Glider? Okay, so Wild Glider was the name of a, a botting application. So botting basically means that you are not sitting at your keyboard playing the game. You're running this kind of a script that will run around and kill enemies automatically by pressing 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4. Um, it will find uh, an herb on the ground. It will run you to the herb and automatically pick the herb and basically plays the game for you and levels you up while you're at work or while you're asleep. It's cheating. Um, it's stupid. Why would you do that? Cause the game is important to some people. It's cheating. Um, I can understand if you want to stay logged in and you have a, and you have a macro that makes you run in circles. I mean, that's not... Oh, even that's not allowed. These are against Blizzard's Terms of Service for uh, World of Warcraft. So Wild Glider was the name of a, one of these botting programs. It was a very popular one. Oh, is this that enabled uh, Draenor flying even if you didn't... No, that would be cheating and stuff. Okay. It, didn't, it, it was cheating in terms of playing the game automatically without you pressing the keys on the keyboard. That's not permitted. And that's something that you have to, when you're making a mod for World of Warcraft, there's a fine line between things that offer convenience and things that are cheating. So you have to be familiar with the terms of service. Yeah. Having your all your bags appear in one screen is convenience. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't hurt anybody else. It doesn't affect anybody else's enjoyment of the game. That's right. But having something that kills five monsters and then runs back to the vendor and sells all of your garbage without you having to press anything, that's cheating. So WoW Glider uh, was popular for a while for people that like to cheat in the game or that wanted to do better in the game without having to put in the effort. Um, Blizzard would keep on... And it, um, <coughs> it obscured its actions in various ways. It would do some things that were randomized so that when Blizzard used all of their anti-cheating and like anti-botting scripts, they would look for things that would put press the up button every eight seconds or something. So instead it would alternate it. So sometimes it would be seven and a half seconds and sometimes it would be 9.2 seconds. Um, it was always this uh, ever escalating arms race between the botters and the detection, uh, anti-bot detection. I got accused of being a bot because I was because I was doing some. Uh, I was doing a. Uh, I was looking for some stuff in an area and just going in a circle. Well, you were accused by another player, which yeah, I doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I responded in perfect English. They got pissed off, and I'm like, and I didn't. I didn't swear at them. I should have sworn at them. They called, They asked me if I was a bot. I'm like, what is your problem? What are you talking about? Oh, you say if someone asks you if you're a bot, you say yes. Sorry, that was my Ghostbusters quote. 
Um, yeah, that was funny though. I was like, okay, go. I'm like, okay, fine, report it. He's like, no, yeah, exactly. Tell them to report it because Blizzard knows they can tell without a shadow of a doubt whether you're cheating like that. Yeah, because and they appreciate it too because it makes it easier for them to, t- to detect automatically. Yeah, because you, as a player running in a circle, you probably do. You don't. You probably keep. You'll probably do things that are obviously not done as a script. That's right. So, what brought Wildglider down? Because I mean, Blizzard will always figure out when people are using bots. But what brought Wildglider down is the fact that they were selling their software, so they're profiting off of cheating in Blizzard's game. And you're not allowed if you make mods for World of Warcraft. You're not allowed to charge money for them. There are even rules about the ways that you can ask for donations optionally. You have to phrase it in a certain way, or you actually, I don't think you can, you're even allowed to accept donations for a mod or for an interface or for anything like that, for an add-on. You can put a donate button on your website, but you cannot say, if you like my mod, donate to this. You can say, if you enjoy my website or if you enjoy my services, you can donate to me. Yeah. So WowGlider sold a tool that let you cheat in World of Warcraft. Blizzard sued them and won. And they had to pay restitution, and they shut down the company, and that was the end of WoW Glider. Mm-hmm. And it's not the end of bots and stuff, but it helped a lot. And then WoW had trouble for a long time with uh, gold farmers and power levelers. You could pay someone $100, and over the weekend they would play the game for you. And uh, and you'd have tons of money and great gear, and you'd come back and you're a maximum level. Mm-hmm. So Blizzard solved that problem now, I think, forever. Because you can pay Blizzard $50 and level up anyone to the maximum level. Which is like a third the price or whatever of what the other services would charge you. And those were exploitative businesses anyway, where it would be like a sweatshop. Someone would make like a dollar an hour mm-hmm. to play the game in the most efficient way possible. And they would only get paid when the guy got to a maximum level. So you had to play it and accomplish it in the least amount of time possible. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting situation. Yeah. The other situation that happened was, um, you know, about the... the uh PvP, the rank battles in PvP and the uh, ladders. And that there's seasonal titles, there's, there's titles that you retain for a season, and there's, and then at the very top of that in rank battles, there's only a title that, that is, is the only permanent title outside of the achievements related to uh, PvP. Mm-hmm. And so a whole bunch of people started reporting on all these cheaters who are using uh, scripts and, or even sharing accounts. To, and having one person run this character th- mm. through the battle, regardless of the time of day. And some people were even uh, going early in the day, getting friends to come in and then padding their stats that way by repeatedly uh, oh. setting it up so that they always faced off the against friends. The friends let people. them win? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not allowed. But sharing your account with someone, that gets you like a perma-ban. Which is... And the thing is... But, that, was but that, to, that was a defense against the power levelers, because you would give them your password and they would play for you and then they'd give it back to you. Mm-hmm. A defense against the power levels, however, I feel that one is unfair because um, it punishes people, it punishes the parent-child combination. Let's say you're a parent, you're, you're going to let your child play, but you don't want to pay for a second account. And so you let them play on your account under their one character. Mm-hmm. Or you have, or somebody who doesn't want to play frequently and you have someone who plays frequently and you let them play on yours. Right. Well, that's just the terms of service. You either agree with them or you don't. True, and at the same time, they only gave seventy-two hour bans to people who were uh, messing with the uh, rank, the tree ranks, because the PvP tournaments, with who were messing with the uh, seasonal rankings by uh, cheating. Oh right, and well that's like an 70- exploit. That's like an exploit that doesn't require modifying the game, I guess. 
it doesn't require two, but at the same time, these were it means that they have they were these were people going to the championships instead right. of uh, people who actually legitimately oh, okay. put in time. And there were people who were bodying and doing it this and winning and uh, controlling battlegrounds this way. Okay. And yet they only got seventy-two hour bands, not permanent bands. That's interesting. Which anyway, is- let's not too, let's not talk too much about WoW, shall we? Mm-hmm. We're pretty much out of time. I want you to be able to talk about nation states before we go. Okay. So for those of you who heard us, just for so, be, so this is actually along the same lines as botting. You know, using uh, not having to do any input once you get the script running. We have nation states has very strict rules about this since we're a game as well, and our. Uh, and on our site, you can we have uh, rules regarding the use of scripts. Meaning, if you use a script, you must have some sort of interaction. Like you can't be away from your your computer when the script runs. You have to be you have to be doing some sort of input at the same time, so it's not fully automated. Because some people were using these automated scripts to recruit and to uh, participate in what are known as raids not not raid not, not raids in the sense of uh, MMOs but raids as in uh, you gather a bunch of your friends and you go invade a region by taking over uh, a position of power shutting it down to the people who were originally there and taking it over and claiming it as a trophy and so they were using scripts to do this and switch to uh go in, take over, and then switch out of, and then to change to another account that they might have been using to raid a different region. And so we didn't, so these people didn't, weren't using any input. At the same time, the same people were using um, the no input scripts to get the people to, to join their region. Just a whole bunch of this insidious under the table a lot stuff. When it and it was it just actually it proved ultimately unfair to a bunch of people who started complaining. We launched a full investigation, and we actually and we wound up banning a, a couple of big a few big name players. This this and and then completely caught and causing these groups of these uh, raiding groups or regions to completely collapse because they lost their protection or founders. And so they what was interest an interesting fallout of that was the biggest ra- region that had been raided and was uh, considered to be a bunch of bullies lost any protection they had and became the, and, and became the target of revenge because they lost all their protection, they lost all their scripts, they lost all the au- automation that they had going and were suddenly the victims of their own actions. Mm-hmm. And additionally, this, these groups, which were fragmented but not completely disbanded, were barred from any form of recruitment for three months. Like, they weren't allowed to get new players to join their groups for raiding. Mm-hmm. And the person and the whistleblower did lose nations, but they did not suffer as much as the uh, other uh, primary perpetrators. So these were people that modded the game by using these different scripts to automate mm-hmm. certain, certain tasks that give you an advantage? Yes. Another thing that we had was known as as NS plus plus, which modified the game, which modified the uh, website's interface, and even included uh, a warning on one of our issues, saying that uh, not to vote on anything because the there would be unintended results. And was in, where was this warning? Sorry, it was embedded on a user interface that went over our website. Okay, and it advised people to not vote on certain issues because unintended results. 
that would come from it. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing with our issues is they're supposed to have wacky unintended results. That's just the nature of the way the game works. So in addition to this warning, it, ha- it allowed players to upload uh, images that got around our rules because most players didn't have, because the mod didn't install these browser add-ons. Mm-hmm. And it also created uh, an issue where we ha- we had the the potential of um, player nations becoming bots and being controlled by one person mm-hmm. because they downloaded this mod, and to prevent that from happening, we actually had we uh, had um, a special we had uh, some uh, special stuff set up to uh, react to this if it ever did happen. I don't know the finer details about this, but I know that there was some sort of plan in place if. Uh, the, if this person ever did take control of those games, I'm not even. I think there may have even been a keylogger involved. Mm. I don't know for sure, but to take control of the nations, I'm I'm thinking it must have involved a keylogger. I guess so. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are just two examples of how uh, even if websites can be modded without. And to be modded to uh, be subject to automated uh, botting. Yeah, that's right. I guess there's there's mods that you can get for websites that are not even games, like Grease Monkey mm-hmm. is a plugin that you can get. I know you can get it for Firefox. I don't know about Chrome. Yeah, you can get it for Firefox, and that's actually allowed on our site because it still requires user input. Okay. Anything that, as long as there's still user input, we allowed it scripts. But any automated scripts without user input were punished, hmm. and uh, the person lost their nation. Okay. Yeah, like we were talking about Google Play Music before, mm-hmm. the streaming thing that I use in uh, a web page. I, I used a script to add last.fm uh, music statistics tracking on there, even though it's not built into the site. It adds it. It, it adds it, but it doesn't do anything to do to uh, exploit it or uh, cause other people to either lose accounts or suffer some sort of setback. No, it's just a convenience for me. It's a, it adds a feature that I want. Yeah. It's a, it's a, life, an improvement of life for you with being at the expense of others. Yeah, exactly. That's the difference between it's a, a good mod is, is an improvement of life and it doesn't hurt other people. Sure. Well, it adds a feature that you wish was there. It mm-hmm. makes the thing that you're doing more enjoyable. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like we've only scratched the surface of mods. We went on a long time talking about the other stuff, which I hope you enjoyed as well. Mm-hmm. I sure did. Talking about all the techie stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much for listening to us. We love having you as our listeners. We've got yeah. one more show this year, which will be next week, and we have a very special guest that we're going to bring back. We'll uh, wait until then to announce who it is, but we hope that you'll join us as always. Love you to pieces. Um, you can catch us on the web at squarefm.demodulated.com. By email, squarefm at demodulated.com. And on Twitter, we are at squarewavesfm. We love your letters. We love your voicemails. We even your tweets. We're happy to read those. Yep. And if you have any suggestions on topics you'd like to see covered, we'd love to hear uh, from from you. And it'll give us, uh, and especially if you start now, it'll give us ample time to uh, start preparing for 2016. That's right. But we've got no shortage of topics of our own that we'll, mm-hmm. be, we'll be doing. But uh, we, we'd love for you to chime in one way or the other. All right. Love love you to pieces, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you this time next week. Have a good one. Beep. Beep. Bye.